Today on Radical Personal Finance, let's celebrate a little bit. I'm going to celebrate episode 500 of the show, and I'm going to celebrate with you your personal financial accomplishments. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua, and I am your host. Today, we will focus on the encouragement part of that little slogan that I lead off every show with uh, by hearing your stories and your voices and what Radical Personal Finance has meant for you. Today's going to be a special show, episode 500. If I do the math on that, I would guess probably if we average them all out, some of my three-hour marathon shows and some of my little five and 10 and 15-minute little shows, I would bet that the average length of radical personal finance would come out, eh, who knows, an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. So if we were to say that there are 500 hours of radical personal finance, that means that See, if you listen 24 hours a day at 500 hours total, it would take you 20 full days to get through the archives of Radical Personal Finance. (laughs) That's a a lot of talking. (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) And I know that uh, many of you have been with me since the very beginning. I've received a number of emails from people who said, Joshua, I was there when you first published the uh, inaugural 10 episodes of the show and then went disappeared for a year. Many of you have said that you've listened to every episode, and I want to thank you uh, for for that. Uh, it's an honor that you would uh, spend time with me, and it's uh, it's a great honor, and I, I want to treat that appropriately and always do my best to serve you effectively with every minute of your precious time that you give to me. Uh, I feel a greater burden to be respectful of your time than even to be respectful of your money. Uh, in a sense, money is an inexhaustible resource. You can always make more money. But time is not. Time is a finite resource. There was a beginning of time and there will be an end of time on a cosmic sense. And then your life has a beginning and it will have an end. And no matter how long and well-lived your life is, in the context of cosmic eternity, that time is very, very small. And so it's so uh, such a responsibility that I feel. And I just want to thank you for sharing that time with me. It's really been a journey for me over these last 500 episodes. By many metrics, Radical Personal Finance has been a huge success. And I want to thank you for that. It's due to your support, your listening, and your um, your patronage. Many of you have sent me money, uh, have supported me on Patreon. Many of you have supported the advertisers on the show. Uh, I want to thank you for all of that action. I could not have continued doing this show the way that I have without your support. Uh, and so I'm deeply honored uh, and by that support. Uh, and I, <laughs> it's easy for words like that to sound trite, but I assure you they are not trite. As I have changed many aspects of my life and my family's life over the past years, uh, it's been quite the adventure and it would not be possible without you. Uh, 
so in many ways, Radical Personal Finance has been a huge success. 500 episodes is far beyond the average duration of uh, an average podcast. Uh, Radical Personal Finance, as I record this in November of 2017, is just under 8.5 million total lifetime downloads. That's, in the world of podcasting, um, extremely strong. Uh, and that's just uh, – it's a all thanks to you. So in many ways, the show has been a huge success. In many ways, the show I consider to be kind of a total failure. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of things that I've tried to do and wanted to do that I haven't been able to figure out the way to do. Uh, and I'm going to fix those things, and I still am fixing those things. Uh, in today's show, I'm going to be very careful to not let my mouth overstep my ability to produce. It's a very challenging habit of mine that my brain is filled with big ideas and my mouth commits to those and then my uh, infrastructure falls apart in my ability to uh, to uh, to actually accomplish things. I'm not going to share with you everything today that I have planned for the future. Just know this. Uh, I'm getting better and I'm not stopping and I'm not resting on my laurels. My job is to serve you. And I have ideas and clear ideas on how to do that more effectively. And my entire focus is to serve you effectively. And so I'm, I'm dedicated to that craft. And I have no intention of changing. I have no intention of going anywhere. So I just want to, I want to lead off with that message, clear, uh, just resounding clarity. I'm very proud of what we've accomplished over the last 500 episodes, but frankly, this is season one. Season two is coming up soon. If you thought season one was good, then just wait for season two because it's going to get even better. In a way, I feel like I've hit my stride. Uh, I feel like I've dealt with over the last uh, – let's see. It's been almost three, three and a half years. Over the last three and a half years of broadcasting, I feel like I've dealt with a lot of the learning curve of learning to be a podcaster. My intention is that the episode after this is is a long list of lessons that I have learned as a podcaster to help many of you who are building podcasts, building blogs, um, sharing your ideas in the public space. Uh, and I feel like this has been kind of a college course. Started with an internship <laughs> and then went into school. And so over the last few years, I feel like I've been in school and in many ways – I'm more confident than I've ever been. Uh, I feel matured as a broadcaster. Uh, my skin has thickened, which is very helpful in the world of public ideas. I've become clear on what my message is, what my skill is. I've become clear on the tone of radical personal finance, the type of subjects and topics that I intend to tackle and the types of subjects that I don't. Uh, I've become clearer on who I want to talk to. I've learned from mistakes along the way. So um, I'm sure I'll continue to make mistakes, but I feel much more confident than I ever have in the history of this show. And I'm excited about the forthcoming season two of Radical Personal Finance. Today, however, I want to feature some of your stories. Many of you, beginning way back in March, when I put out a call for you to share what the show has meant to you, how it's been helpful, the progress that you have made in your life and your finances over the past months and years because of the show, many of you responded and sent in your voicemails, uh, beginning all the way back in March. Uh, at the same time that I put out a call for voicemails, I put out a call for photos. And I want to thank you to all of you who have sent me 
those photos. All of you who have sent me just uh, family photos and pictures of you it has been awesome. The reason I did that, and by the way, I've got about four times as many photos as I do voicemails. <laughs> also, uh, a couple dozen emails saying, well, I wanted to create a voicemail, and I tried, but I couldn't actually get it done. So <laughs> I'm, my, the number of voicemails was the smallest, and, and here I am building a show off of your voicemails. <laughs> but the family photos have been so helpful for me. Uh, one of the real rules of, um, of broadcasting or the rules of uh, writing, effective writing, effective broadcasting is to speak to your ideal listener. The way that you speak will have a uh, an effect that will draw the ideal person and will repel the type of person that you're not trying to speak to. And so if you are writing a letter or writing publicly, it's important to identify who you're trying to speak to. I learned this a decade plus ago when I was studying how to write good sales copy and effective copywriting for, for, for selling stuff. And you always start with your ideal customer. Uh, the, the ideal customer for a Harley-Davidson motorcycle is different and looks different than the ideal customer for Jimmy Choo high heel shoes. These are different people. And so if you're going to write effective copy for Harley-Davidson, you need to think about who's likely to buy the Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Now, although I would have given you that advice, I didn't take that advice when I started Radical Personal Finance because I had no idea. I didn't know who I was trying to speak to because I just was trying to talk about some stuff that I thought was important, that I saw saw was underrepresented. I had a bit of a plan but not much, and so I just sat down and said I'm going to speak. <laughs> and so it's been so neat to get your many pictures from you. Um, they're not going anywhere. I just have them all set aside in a um, – in a separate folder on my computer. They're labeled with your first name and all the other metadata is stripped off of them, so you're clean. <laughs> I'm not doing any, anything with them, but I have a slideshow set up. And I run that slideshow so that I can look at all the pictures. And it helps me to think about who I'm speaking to. Uh, and it's been so encouraging to me to have those pictures. So thank you to those of you who have sent me uh, a family photo. Uh, if you have not sent me a family photo, I would love to have one. Uh, feel free. Just send me an email, joshua at radicalpersonalfinance.com, and attach a family photo um, if you'd like to be in my screensaver. Again, just for me, nothing, not for anything else, but it helps me to look at you. And when I'm speaking, uh, it allows me to, to connect with you. Uh, and that's been, that's been awesome. Uh, in many ways, and this is not a complaint, just an observation, in many ways, podcasting is a very lonely endeavor. I sit here in front of a computer screen with a microphone and, and speak. And I know that I'm in your car with you. I know that I'm in your earbuds as you're running through the park. I know that I'm with you as you travel across the, the country on an airplane. Uh, but because of the challenge of synchronous communication, because when you're listening to me, you're not sitting in front of a computer keyboard where you can just type a comment or write me a note, uh, then it's often challenging to uh, – to, to measure the effectiveness. And so I just want to say thank you to those of you who take the time to write to me and to put these photos down uh, and to listen. Uh, don't ever feel bad about not listening to everything. Don't ever feel bad about not writing to me. Don't ever feel bad, please, about not supporting the show on Patreon. I want to serve you effectively. Uh, and I know that if I can serve you effectively – then everything else will work. So please don't feel the need to, um, you know, to, to do any of that stuff uh, necessarily, unless you want to. I'm not. I'm not complaining here. Just trying to share with you and express my heart of gratitude. So looking at your pictures as I record has has just been really neat uh, and been very encouraging to me to see um, who's listening. It's awesome. 
I also received a bunch of voicemails. These voicemails go all the way back to March of 2017 when I first uh, started to receive them. Uh, I received, as I said, probably 25% of the number of voicemails as um, – as, as photos. And I also received many just private notes of thanks, uh, written emails that have been very helpful and very encouraging. Thank you to all of you who've sent them to me. In a moment, I'm going to start playing the voicemails just to share uh, so we can share this together. I think it's really neat for you to be able to hear from some of your fellow listeners. I, I f- It's a little hard for me because it feels so self-congratulatory when all of you say, thank you, Joshua. So I often, uh, it's hard for me to just to kind of constantly hear praise and play all that praise publicly. But I know that it's encouraging because I've gotten some of you to share your stories. And that's often the goal is, is, is to hear you share your stories. I know that many of you in hearing this would say, well, I would have sent it in a note. Uh, and and I want to encourage you with two things. One, uh, at the time when those notes were coming in, I, uh, the vast majority of you wrote to me in March and in April. And I was heavily publishing and pushing and saying, hey, come on, get those get those uh, voicemails in. I thought that I was going to publish episode 500 on uh, July 1 of this year, July 1 of 2017. That was my goal. I had a, a an episode list and I had it all planned out to publish on July 1. Well, it's November. Uh, the show will go out on November the 3rd, Friday. Uh, and that was just because the last six months were, were pretty brutal for me. And so it's, that's that's why I didn't push it more. So if you'd like to uh, share more voicemails in the future, going to quit talking and get right to them. If you'd like to share more voicemails in the future, then please go ahead and do that. And uh, I may I may play them at some point in the future uh, here and there on a show. Just need to hear uh, and thank you so much. So thank you all for celebrating this milestone with me. Without more talking, let's get right to Joshua it. Joshua and fellow radicals, my name is Dustin. I'm a longtime listener and patron of the show. And Joshua Sheets and Radical Personal Finance has had an absolute massive impact on my life. And I'll just tell one story to kind of demonstrate that. I found Joshua in, in his podcast uh, roughly around the time of a, of a quarter-life crisis, if you will. I was newly married. Uh, my wife just started her emergency medicine residency. We were three months in, and I, I'm working as a physical therapist. She comes home absolutely miserable and says, I want to quit. Like many of you, probably the first thing that may have gone to your mind says, oh my gosh, all those student loans. And that's that's what I thought of as well. Uh, we had about $130,000, which is not a lot for, for a physician typically, but the weight of that uh, was real. I really felt that, but um, my wife was not happy. She was going day in and day out into this hospital, uh, not knowing why she was doing what she was doing, but she she was absolutely miserable, and she would say that herself. And I had a really tough time. What do I do in this position? And so I started to, to learn more about finance and how we could tackle this debt. And I, I found Radical Personal Finance. And the thing that Joshua Sheets has done an absolute beautiful job of doing um, for me has been to apply financial principles to our unique situation. There's a lot of financial principles that are portrayed as almost universal truths, as everyone should act on them especially in, you know, if you read financial blogs and, and, po- and listen to podcasts and whatnot. But uh, Joshua helped me th- think through our situation and realize that it's okay if we put a lot of our income towards this debt. You know, most advice that we got from friends and family was, no, you know, you want to pay off the, the student loans as uh, slowly as possible. You can put your money in other places and get more interest. Now, in terms of making money, that probably does make sense. But in terms of quality of life, 
It did not at the time. And I'm so thankful that we decided to put 60 to sometimes 70% of our income uh, towards paying off our student loans. Granted, you know, we already had our emergency fund and we had all, you know, uh, we, we were prepared for the worst to happen, but we threw so much of our income towards that student debt that right uh, after my wife finished her residency uh, and started working as an emergency physician, you know, she's debt free. She can quit any day she wants. And we've made decisions uh, so that she can quit if this uh, field in medicine is not as fulfilling as what she thought it would be going into it. And I can honestly say if it was not for radical personal finance, we would probably still be paying the minimum amount. My wife would be miserable and I probably would be too. So Joshua, thank you, sir. You've done a tremendous amount of work uh, in our lives. I love that story. If there would be one thing that I would love to see just more and more people crush its debt. Uh, you know, I, I often I've shared publicly my conflict. I acknowledge that debt can be a useful tool, but man, from a lifestyle perspective, being free of debt, if I could help more people, uh, especially more young couples be free of debt and labor at that one job for the next decade, <laughs> I would feel really, really good about my work. Hi, Josh. This is Ellie. When you asked for testimonials, I knew that I had to call in and say thank you. My husband and I are in our late 20s. We're low on the income scale because we work in ministry where the wages are set and there's not particularly any room for salary growth, but we love it and we feel that this is the life that God has called us to. Thanks to radical personal finance, my husband and I have begun our journey to get out of debt. We owe 40 grand. This is month number one and we were able to put $1,000 extra on our loans. I can't believe it. It feels great. I, w I was also helped after listening to a recent podcast where you, you answered a listener question about going back to college. I realized that personally I've been trying to fit a square peg in a round hole regarding the ten grand i have already invested in school. But I'm now free of world pressure saying that I have to go to college and get a college career to be able to say that I've made something of myself. I'm able to let go of pressure that I've put on myself to make something out of the investment that I made. So thank you. It's interesting. One of the biggest things that I observe and that I would love to continue to battle against is this uh, horrific thing that we do, especially in the United States of America, where the one and only metric of worth is your career. This is stupid. And yet it's pervasive. We've sold a bill of goods to my entire generation that says the only way that you should measure yourself is how effective you are at your career. How powerful are you and how much money do you make? And I, I love, <laughs> I love to bust, uh, to bust that. Uh, and I'm just getting started on that. FYI, if you're interested in my uh, organization here, I don't have these themed in any way with one or two minor exceptions, uh, which I've adjusted uh, due to length considerations. I'm playing these in the order they came in. So that's, uh, that's what's going on. Hi, Joshua. I found your show about six or seven months ago. Um, my husband and I had realized that we, we were basically hitting a wall. Um, it occurred to us that for the past, I guess, nine months, maybe a year, we had basically been spending all of our income. We weren't really saving anything. And in fact, 
many months, we were moving over um, a little bit of money from our savings to, to cover our costs. Um, thankfully, we weren't running a, a credit card balance or anything like that. But still, it, it was pretty disconcerting to realize that that had been going on for so long. Um, I think we thought every month, oh, it's just an off month. that It'll be fine at the next month. Uh, but it never was. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll add to that that, unfortunately, um, as I have a master's degree. My husband does too. Um, we're, we're, we're fairly well educated, um, adults, but finance and money were, were not areas of expertise for us, um, or, or really interest. Um, but I decided that I had to get to the bottom of this and figure it out. Um, what, what, what were we doing and what could we do better? Because we make plenty of money. There's no reason we should have felt so strapped. Um, I, I looked around uh, online and I found all kinds of different shows like Dave Ramsey and, and whatnot, but everything, um, it seemed too simplistic. Um, I really wanted to know the why and the how of things. Um, and thankfully, so thankfully, I found your show, Radical Personal Finance, and it was just, it was, <laughs> it was so um, eye-opening and enlightening. Um and inspiring, to tell you the truth. Um, I've devoured most of your archive. Uh, I listened to all your new shows. Um, it has really inspired a uh, curiosity in me that I haven't, that I'd never had about um, financial topics um, and investing. Um, I've had that about many other things, but uh, the finance and, and investing had never, had no, just never been one of those subjects for me. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, what have we changed? Um, we have, we're going through, we're taking this year, 2017, and we're reevaluating everything in our budget and our lifestyle. Um, it's probably going to take about a year just because we're going through every single thing <laughs> from our grocery budget to, um, housing costs to insurance to investments and savings everything um and looking at it with a critical eye that we we've never looked at um with before so um we have shifted from basically saving very little or nothing um in the previous year uh, we had in time in years prior but um not immediately before I started listening to your show, um, of saving very little to, I think, the last few months we've been saving about 30% of our income, which has felt amazing. Um, we're kind of reevaluating how we want to save that and invest it um, and use it. Um, we've we reevaluated... Um, our housing because we thought of moving, but then we settled on, we really wanted to stay in our house. We love our neighborhood. Um, but what were the other aspects of our budget that seemed wasteful? And obviously we found money because we're now saving 30%. Um, <clears throat> let's see. What else have we changed? Just our entire outlook and interest in, in all things financial has been just fascinating the turnaround and eye-opening and um 
I don't think you think of your show as being inspiring, but I have found it inspiring. So I hope that makes you feel good. Um, this is probably getting too long. Um, I can ramble. So thank you so much for your show. Um, and congratulations on approaching 500 episodes. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah. There are a few things in that one that really are encouraging to me. One is the stimulation of curiosity. I have never understood why other people weren't interested in money. Because to me, I find it a really interesting subject. <laughs> and one of the things I've loved doing in, in personal interaction with people frequently is being able to take a goal that they have and then relate that to money. Because every goal that you have relates to money in some way. Every goal you have relates to money in some way. It doesn't have to be the big things, but it often relates in the small ways. And so uh, taking a love that I can help encourage that interest in finance and financial matters. And then my hope is that you'll be able to take that and encourage that interest in others. Because many times the people who express the strongest and most vociferously that they're not interested in money are the ones who the most importantly need to be interested in the careful management of the money that's under their stewardship. Uh, the other thing that really encourages me is just uh, hearing about the re-evaluation of life and priorities. This is a, a fundamental tactic that I think is so valuable for us to continually do. Just a tip that I've said frequently is just take each month one different area of your life and of your finances and think it through. You can't solve everything in one sit down or in one meeting. But if you're working on your income uh, each month, take a different way of increasing your income. If you're working on your expenses each month, take a different budget category and just think about it. Talk about it uh, with your husband or your wife. Talk about it and say, uh, you know, here is what we're doing. Here is what uh, I want to keep doing. Uh, here's what we love and here's what we don't. And if you're living in a house and you say, we love this house, we love this neighborhood, great. You're going to feel really good about continuing that. But if you find you're living in a house that you just kind of continued living in without a lot of thought, well, get rid of the thing and move on to something else that you're really going to uh, going to enjoy. So much of the time we get roped into this approach where we just kind of continue with the inertia of past decisions even though present circumstances have changed. And we don't stop to recognize that. Good morning, Joshua. My name is Jorge and I am currently living in the Northeast out in uh, Southern Maryland. I would like to let you know that the first episode that I first uh, heard was episode 302, talking about a person that lived out in a rural area out in Georgia. And uh, it just resonated with me so much because I am, uh, I got put out in the middle of nowhere due to the career that I was in. And uh, at the time, I just wanted to run back home and not come back anymore. However, I listened to all the tips and all the advice that you gave to the gentleman to be able to either live in an RV or live a simpler lifestyle while he was uh, making a decent salary out in the, you know, in this rural area. My next few episodes that I heard was uh, 379, I believe, talking about uh, being uh, politically correct and not holding any bars on what you were going to say, and I really respect that. Uh, and what you're doing. Also, um, another one that, that really resonated was uh, ERE, which is a book that I ended up getting later in life. And uh, I just read it a couple months ago. And I've been implementing the strategies that it's been telling me. So I've been, you know, doing a lot more bike riding to work. 
and I've been uh, able to save up and, and reuse a lot of the old stuff that I have. So at the end of this year, I'll pretty much be uh, debt-free besides my mortgage, uh, which Dave Ramsey is another podcast that I have for years and uh, the uh, Mad Scientist, uh, Brandon, are the ones that I listen to on a daily basis. I listen to them while I'm biking or working out the gym. So while everybody's listening to other kinds of music or other kinds of things I'm listening to either uh, Bible studies or to your podcasts. Uh, finally, I want to let you know that uh, the episode 388 on drunkenness uh, really resonated well with me. Uh, at that time, I had gotten sick with acid reflux, and I didn't know what was going on with me. So finally, I got diagnosed with that. So I decided to, uh, you know, give up alcohol. And um, that episode really resonated well, and it was just another reason to uh, to never drink again. So... Uh, no, I think uh, about eight or nine months now, I just kind of haven't had a sip of anything, really. And I'm not looking forward to getting anything back into it. Also, uh, during this time frame, I've uh, been able to open up my Bible a lot more, doing a lot more Bible study. I joined the choir at church, and I'm doing that sort of deal just to distract me. Well, not distract me, but to uh, focus myself even further. So this is a little bit about me. Thank you for everything you do and many blessings to you and your family as well, sir. And I hope to meet you soon or one day. Thank you. Jorge, thank you so much for making the time to share that with me, and I hope to meet you as well. Uh, I try to go um, from here and there to a few different uh, a few different public events where it's easy, uh, or also if you ever come to Florida, I always try to meet up with listeners. Anytime listeners come through in the future, I'm sure that we'll do some specific radical personal finance events uh, when possible. And I love hearing those stories. Uh, I think in any situation that we're in, in a rural situation, there's a place to look at it and say, what are the benefits of being here and and, and what are the benefits of, of being um, – uh, or what or any situation that we're in for those new for new, any new, new listeners ERE is early retirement extreme uh, and that is Jacob Lund Fisker's excellent uh, book he it's one of the better books it's, it's the best book on early retirement and I it really resonates with me one thing I really appreciate about Jacob is that he's a systems thinker and uh, he he doesn't think in terms of just specific tactics he thinks in terms of the principles and the systems that can be applied in every uh, in every circumstance uh, congratulations on being debt free Jorge interesting the other two episodes that you mentioned uh, 379 where I just shared you know I'm, I'm taking the filter off that was very very important to me and uh, not easy to do in our modern world, but I felt good about that and will be continuing even more. And then also 388, it was interesting. I had a whole bunch of uh, feedback on 388 where I just talked – I was – I can't remember what I titled the episode, but I was just trying to say like why do we celebrate drunkenness? Uh, and uh, to, to, for, for sake of clarity, I wasn't – entirely saying don't ever drink alcohol. Uh, many people make that choice. Uh, uh, about once every few months, I'll have an alcoholic drink. But uh, I was standing against drunkenness. And I love hearing that uh, that feedback. Even if you 
completely abstain from alcohol. There's almost nothing positive from, that comes from alcohol uh, with the exception of the enjoyment in the moment. Uh, and so for many people, just completely abstaining from alcohol is a path to clarity of mind, uh, reinvigoration of energy and purpose, etc. cetera. Uh, but I was standing against a culture of drunkenness where we celebrate uh, drunkenness. And, I'm, and so the reason I was saying feedback, some people, of course, were very annoyed and frustrated about here's Joshua preaching and moralizing, etc. But I had a bunch of emails from listeners who said, thank you. Alcohol destroyed my life. My dad was a drunk or alcohol destroyed my marriage, uh, etc. And there's no trifling thing to be played with. So I appreciate the kind words. Very encouraging to me. Hey, Josh. Uh, the reason I listen to Radical Personal Finance is because I wanted to get a perspective from somebody who has been on the inside without all the fluff and without somebody trying to sell me something. Unfortunately, I find that everywhere you look when it comes to financial information, it's written by those who can profit from me. And as a physician making a high income, I find that I'm a very easy target for these people. So. Radical Personal Finance has helped me understand the financial environment a little bit better and it's helped me understand that there's a huge difference between a high income and uh, wealth. And so that's what uh, Radical Personal Finance has done for me. Um, I have my own financial advisor and I have done a lot of my own education on the side, but I tune into you mostly because I want to hear your commentary. So. I want to hear you blab, as others have <laughs> said, uh, about what you think on various, on various topics. It's actually interesting to hear your thought process, and that's really what I'm tuning into. Uh, I believe you're well-read, and I do think that your perspective on the personal finance space is very unique. So uh, I'm going to be continuing to listen um, and hopefully learning a lot. The main changes that I have undertaken is that I started rethinking my idea about building wealth. In the past, it was all about um, mutual, mutual funds and the common index funds. Um, and now it's more about investing in myself and investing in my uh, side interests outside of medicine and trying to build social networks, trying to build um, other, other ways of generating income. Not so much because I'm trying to uh, build even more wealth, but because I feel that there is a lot more that a person can give back to the world and it starts it starts with me and that's what I'm investing in. Amen. <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that other than amen. One comment uh, with regard to uh, hearing the thought process. This one has been interesting for me uh, and I agree with you. When I tune into people that I enjoy hearing, one of the things that I like to hear is how they think and what they think. And the for the forum of media provides a really good platform for that because it's a very open place. You can listen to somebody that you may not spend a lot of time with if you were in-person friends, but you can hear how somebody thinks. The challenge is as a, as a speaker, it's one of the more difficult things to do effectively because it's very humbling to have yourself out there and have your ideas out there and have them subject to the archives of history and the test of time. It's very, very challenging, but I am I will do more and more of this in days to come. Uh, for example, uh, I anticipate in, in coming days, I want to do an essay on or basically a, a show on 
what I think the next decade or so holds. I've been very concerned about the coming decades uh, here in the United States, and I've thought a lot about it. And it's very humbling to do that because there's a good chance I'll be wrong in much of what I say. But I know that I owe it to you as a listener to share that with you in the the spirit of friendship. Uh, just to say, just as if we were sitting down uh, talking over a drink, then I would say, here's what I think and here's what you think. In the media world, that's really tough though because there's so much pride that we want to maintain and so much you know, professionalism, etc. But uh, I think that when people like me walk away from that, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to say what we think, I think we lose one of the benefits of niche media. And we go back and recreate all of the problems of the large corporate media, and I don't want to go there. So uh, expect much more of that in the future. And the same philosophy with interviews. Uh, I get a good amount of flack sometimes for when I'm doing an interview with somebody, saying, speaking and sharing my thoughts and my opinions and not speaking like an NPR reporter. And I've often thought about that because certainly if you study interviewing, they say, well, you should just be a, a reporter. But I'm not a reporter and I don't want to be a reporter. And so I've uh, I've chosen to insert my opinion, insert my ideas because that's what I like to listen to. Uh, and I love that in a world of free media, other people can go and do NPR stuff and I can do this. Thank you for listening and enjoying that. Hey, Joshua, this is Fritz from the Retirement Manifesto, just giving you a shout out on your show. Um, fantastic show. I can't tell you the impact it's had on my life. Uh, no doubt in my mind that listening to your podcast during my three-hour commute for several years was uh, a made main driver in uh, us deciding to pursue early retirement, me launching my blog, and uh, just all kinds of exciting things in our lives. So love what you're doing, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thanks. I just saw Fritz this last weekend at FinCon out in Texas, and he's had a bunch of changes, uh, even approaching retirement. I'm going to have him back on the show soon to share some of those things because I think he's intelligently approaching those, and it's a good lesson of how what you set out to do isn't always what you do in the long run. Hey, Josh, just got done listening to a couple of your episodes as I was driving in and out of San Francisco today for some client meetings, and... Congrats as you're closing in on 500 episodes. That's an amazing accomplishment. And I wanted to share uh, very quickly what the show has kind of meant for me and done for me over time. So uh, I myself skew younger and less white than your demographic, uh, according to a, a recent episode of yours as well. But nonetheless, still a pretty high income earner. And that was really what got me into fire. When I graduated from school about two years ago, I was in a sales job in the Silicon Valley, low base salary, but there's that commission portion. And my first quarter, I did so much better than I had anticipated that I would, ended up making essentially double what I thought I was, what I was planning to make. And so, you know, when I graduated, I, I had real, no, no student loan debt. I had worked through school. My parents had helped me with the tuition, but uh, at the same time, I had no real savings either. I, I probably, by the time I moved and bought new furniture and stuff, I probably had about $500 to my name when I started my job. And three months into that job, getting that commission check and going from that to over $10,000 in, in one go to get in that five figure range right away, I, I decided, man, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this money. And that was how I found you. That's how I found financial independence as like a financial philosophy. And your show has been absolutely instrumental. One of my main tools for learning all of this information, um, where to invest things. Your, your episode about the 401k versus the Roth IRA is one of my favorite single podcast episodes, period. Um, and I've listened and tuned into your, your show pretty much every week since. And not just in 
not just influencing the way that I've saved, but I've actually, I've loved podcasting as a medium for a long time. And it, it actually inspired me to also launch my own podcast called The Wealthy Healthy. And we've been doing that for a couple of months now, um, targeting a younger audience, uh, more like the 101s of personal finance, as opposed to your kind of master's level courses content uh, that you like to kind of bill your show as in the, in the podcast. But um, nonetheless, you know, th- then there is a skew that's outside of finance on that show as well. So definitely though, it's been hugely inspired by your show. And, and that's largely because I have been so inspired by your show. So thank you so much um, for, for creating this content and sharing it with everybody. Um, I know for myself, it's been a, a huge, huge influencer in my own process of understanding where to save and how to save. And um, I've been able to increase my savings rate over time. And to continue to do that as I get raises has been um, it's, it's afforded me so much peace of mind. I think that's the the biggest, biggest thing is that if something happens, if there's a recession and my job disappears for any reason, I actually, I've only been saving and working for less than two years now, but I have months and months and months, I think actually years now, a few years, um, that I would be able to live and I would actually be able to live more frugally than I do now as well. Um, and that's also largely, I I know that largely because of your show as well. Um, that peace of mind of knowing that I could be unemployed for a year or two and it would not put me into the negative is an unbelievable, there's an unbelievable power to that. And, um, that, peace of mind that I have just, just at that basic sort of low level of savings that I, I have currently, um, it's been, it's been amazing. And so I really, I really have to thank you for that. Congrats on hitting 500. Um, I'm going to keep tuning in, uh, and I hope that you continue to create this content. Thanks, Josh. It's really, really amazing because it puts you in a situation where in the beginning stages of your life, you have choices. Uh, when I started recording radical personal finance four years ago, I I didn't have some. You know, I didn't have a clear philosophy uh, that I was willing to say this is the philosophy. But I'll tell you one thing that has become clearer. I no longer advise. I, I encourage basically all young people. First goal: ten grand in the bank, and that's what you described. Ten grand in the bank. Uh, once you have ten grand in the bank, there are almost. There's almost. There are. <laughs> you have tremendous flexibility. Second goal: hundred grand in the bank. When you got a hundred grand in the bank available to you, available to you, not locked away in some retirement account that you have some emotional hang up out of taking out, but a hundred grand available to you, there is almost no life choice that you can't make. You can move from here to anywhere. You can change from this job to that job. You can start just about any business that you'd like to pursue. You have freedom and you have a huge degree of autonomy and independence. And I despise the way that we – that was a little strong. I don't like the way that we in the world run by the modern financial orthodoxy, we take everyone's money and we put it away from them. And so there are lots of people that I've counseled to have a hundred grand, but it's locked up in a 401k account. Now, that's a bit of a mirage. You can still get it out. But – it takes that that comes with a lot of hardship, and so I love hearing the freedom that you get. So check out um, the podcast, the Wealthy Healthy, and I love that you are that you've built your own and that you're building your own. I encourage every listener build some little media project because there needs to be a diversity of voices, people who are able to speak 
different languages, both uh, separate languages that are unintelligible to one another and speak in a different language to people. Uh, I speak in a certain type of the English language and that appeals to a certain person, but it doesn't appeal to other people. And so what I'd want you to do is to go and to articulate the things that I have to share in your own words for someone else. So any other listeners who would be interested in hearing the Wealthy Healthy podcast, uh, the 101s of personal finance, check it out in the iTunes store. Here we go. Okay. I am a chemical engineer and apparently I'm rare because even though I'm the lady of the household, I'm the one who takes care of the budgeting, uh, taxes and investing. It's what I like to do, and my husband just likes me to tell him how much money he can spend, so that would, that's what works for us. Um, he's an electrical engineer, and uh, together we've been working towards early retirement since 2012. I found Radical Personal Finance in 2016 after I got tired of listening to the repetitive but highly addictive Dave Ramsey. I was on maternity leave with my first child at the time. That's her in the background. And I was going back and forth between my desire to return to work and my instinct to stay at home and take care of her full time. The first episode of Radical Personal Finance that I listened to was Why You Should Buy a Minivan. It seemed interesting. Uh, The next few I listened to were about... How to live a good life now rather than wait until you're retired. And that was something I hadn't heard or read anywhere else. Everyone focuses so much on that end goal. And Joshua uh, was here telling me how, you know, we could live a good life even though we weren't, we hadn't reached our financial goals yet. And that's what helped me stay home. So that's what I am doing full-time now, and um, although it's slowed down our retirement, uh, it's given us this wonderful opportunity to raise our child by a loving parent rather than daycare, and that has just been such a good decision for us. Never regretted it. And uh, the the more I listen to Radical Personal Finance, I just feel better about that step away from employeehood. Because there's so many other ways to earn a living. Um, And he also pointed me at Mr. Money Mustache, who, of course, is just a whole different rabbit hole of, you know, how to live a good life and and not need uh, employment to the same extent. So I would say one of the most empowering episodes Joshua has put out is the one about explaining different types of business entities. Um, and that was information I just, I just never absorbed before. You know, I didn't go to business school and I've just never read a lot about it. But after listening to it, I just felt for the first time that, that I really could own my own business because I just never even would have known where to start before. Um, and then, of course, there's all the tax information, which you're just not going to get that information anywhere else. Forget about tax professionals. They're just, they're just not going to tell you this stuff. And it's a free listening, easy listening format. Uh, so there's just nothing like it. Um, I've heard it said that Joshua rambles, but as a stay-at-home mom, I have to say I appreciate the fact that 
listening to Joshua feels like he's just having a conversation with me and, and all his other listeners. So I really enjoy that. And he'll be the first one to tell you to listen to him at at least a two times speed. So uh, that's, that's everything I've gotten out of Radical Personal Finance. I, I'm so glad to have it. There's no other podcast like it. And I'm very grateful for Joshua continuing to do this work. Listen to me at 2x or uh, or higher if you can do it. <laughs> well, in the spirit of having a conversation, I want to just share something here. I, I plan, I, I, I may do a standalone episode on this, uh, but uh, I wanted to share my heart uh, for a moment here because I was just struck by an, uh, a, a piece from last weekend's Wall Street Journal from the Saturday, Sunday, October 28, 29, 2017 uh, article. Uh, if there's one thing that I'm very proud of, very proud of. It's the fact that I have taught hundreds and hundreds of husbands and wives how they can financially justify the decision for a mom to be home with their babies. Because there is so much pressure on young mothers that the only element of self-worth is a matter of career. And young moms feel this pressure so intensely. And so I love the fact. I'm very proud. So far, your call may be my favorite because uh, of just hearing about the impact that that you're having. Because I know the long-term effect of you being home with your babies. Now, I get a lot of flack at at being – I don't even know what to call myself, uh, over issues like this because people want to politicize it. And I want to read you a few paragraphs here of this article. It's called The Politicization of Motherhood from the opinion section of last weekend's Wall Street Journal. And in my mind, it's almost the perfect example of how broken our society is with our ability to talk with one another. The uh, This is the weekend interview with Erica Komisar written by James Tor- uh, Toronto. New York. Motherhood used to be as American as apple pie. Nowadays, it can be as, as antagonistic as American politics. Ask Erica Komisar. Ms. Komisar, 53, is a Jewish psychoanalyst who lives and practices on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. If that biographical thumbnail leads you to stereotype her as a political liberal, you're right. But she tells me she has become, quote, a bit of a pariah, end quote, on the left because of the book she published this year, Being There. Why prioritizing motherhood in the first three years matters. Christian radio stations, quote, interviewed me and loved me, she says. She went on Fox and Friends and, quote, the host was like, your book is the best thing since the invention of the refrigerator. But I couldn't get on NPR and I was rejected wholesale, particularly in New York, by the liberal press. She did appear on ABC's Good Morning America, but seconds before the camera went live, she says the interviewer told her, quote, I don't believe in the premise of your book at all. I don't like your book. The premise of Ms. Komisar's book, backed by research in psychology, neuroscience, and epigenetics, is that, quote, mothers are biologically necessary for babies, end quote, and not only for the obvious reasons of pregnancy and birth. Babies are much more neurologically fragile than we've ever understood, Ms. Komisar says. She cites the view of one neuroscientist, Nim Tottenham of Columbia University, quote, that babies are born without a central nervous system, and, quote, mothers are the central nervous system to babies, close quote, especially for the first nine months after birth. What does that mean? Quote, every, t- I'm going to 
quit with the quoting thing. I usually don't do it, so forgive me for being unprofessional. What does that mean? Every time a mother comforts a baby in distress, she's actually regulating that baby's emotions from the outside in. After three years, the baby internalizes that ability to regulate their emotions, but not until then. For that reason, mothers need to be there as much as possible, both physically and emotionally for children in the first 1,000 days. The regulatory mechanism is oxytocin, a neurotransmitter popularly known as the love hormone. Oxytocin, Ms. Komisar explains, is a buffer against stress. Mothers produce it when they give birth, breastfeed, or otherwise nurture their children. The more oxytocin the mother produces, the more she produces it in the baby by, by communicating via eye contact, touch, and gentle talk. The baby's brain in turn develops oxytocin receptors, which allow for self-regulation at a later age. Women produce more oxytocin than men do, which answers the obvious question of why fathers aren't as well-suited as mothers for this sort of sensitive, empathetic nurturing. People... Want to feel that men and women are fungible, observes Ms. Commissar, but they aren't, at least not when it comes to parental roles. Fathers produce a different nurturing hormone, known as vasopressin, what we call the protective, aggressive hormone. Whereas a mother of a crying baby will lean into the pain and say, oh, honey, a father is more apt to tell the child, come on, you're okay, brush yourself off, let's go back to play. Children, especially boys, need that paternal nurturing to learn to control their aggression and become self-sufficient. But during the first stages of childhood, motherly love is more vital. Ms. Komisar's interest in early childhood development grew out of her three decades experience treating families, first as a clinical social worker and later as an analyst. What I was seeing was an increase in children being diagnosed with ADHD and an increase in aggression in children, particularly in little boys, and an increase in depression in little girls. More youngsters were also being diagnosed with social disorders, whose symptoms resembled those of autism, having difficulty relating to other children, having difficulty with empathy. As Ms. Komisar started to put Commissar started to put the pieces together, she found that the absence of mothers in children's lives on a daily basis was what I saw to be one of the triggers for these mental disorders. She began to devour the scientific literature and found that it reinforced her intuition. Her interest became a preoccupation. My husband would say I was a one-note Charlie, she recalls. I would come home and I would rant and I would say, oh my God, I'm seeing these things. I've got to write a book about it. That was 12 years ago. She followed her own advice and held off working on the book because her own young children, two sons and a daughter, still needed her to be emotionally and physically present. Now, it goes on and talks about the fact that um, she is a uh, liberal Democrat, and it talks about how uh, basically there's been tremendous um, – a, a tremendous rebuff of her uh, from both sides of the political spectrum because – um, the liberal Demo the, the liberals don't like the fact that she says that mothers and fathers are not interchangeable and that children need mothers. And the conservatives don't like the fact that her, her proposed solutions for how to do better are long-term paid parental leave required to be paid to mothers by their employers. Now, this is certainly a rabbit trail here simply because this essay has been sitting on my desk the last few days. And um, as I listen to your email, I can't help but put it in here. But one of the things that I am sick and tired of uh, and I make no apologies for is the fact that we cannot filter the things we do through politics. Liberal progressives would love if to be that there is no difference 
between moms and dads. Liberal progressives would love it if, uh, uh, if 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 uh, if it were didn't matter if a mom were home with her with her children. But I think any of us who are parents, any of us who've been around children, can see the difference in that. Now, lest you think I'm picking on you, my dear friend, my dear liberal friends, uh, I've probably got more issues with conservative. So. Just, just the, on this particular issue, it's 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 valuable, but it's so gratifying to me to hear that you've made the decision that you've made, because you will reap the benefits of that for decades, and you'll reap it in almost every aspect of your life. You'll reap it in healthier children that don't have to be drugged in order to fit into society. You'll reap it with children who will learn in the first few years of their life the vocabulary that they need to be able to communicate effectively, the coping skills, the ability for them to have appropriate nonviolent interaction with other children and with adults. You will set your children on the fast track because of that decision. And I could give you book after book after book after book. So I'm really proud of that. And going forward, one of the things that I need to do much more of is to ignore the, uh, the people who want me to politicize my, my thoughts and fit into a box. This is destroying our ability to search for and find things that are true. Because what we're doing is we're building a reality that we wish were true that's just simply not and I don't want to participate. So thank you for calling in with your story. And if, uh, I encourage, let me make a note, I will add, I'll try to add a link to the Wall Street Journal article. It's called The Politicization of Motherhood. And uh, I'll add a link to that in the show notes on today's, uh, on today's show. And perhaps we'll cover it more in the future. Hey, Joshua. My name is Andy Tysing. I'm a 26-year-old junior army officer living in, in Savannah, Georgia getting ready to make a move to central Missouri. First and foremost, I just want to thank you for what you do. Uh, the, the show you provide is a great service to me and, and all of your listeners. I apologize for any poor audio. I'm, I'm in my car uh, waiting for our morning little physical training to start. To give you a little background on, on who I am and, and what I enjoy, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm currently in the military. My wife and I are planning to transition out of the military in about a year and a half. Um, while I certainly enjoy it, uh, we're looking forward to the stability that, that civilian life uh, allows, being able to, to be closer to family for a longer period of time. She's a CPA, and I am hoping to get into some sort of, of manufacturing industry, whether it be working for Toyota, uh, maybe, maybe a construction company, something where I can put some project management skills to work. What I enjoy in my personal time is woodworking, and that's actually how I came across your podcast I listen to some woodworking podcasts on the side, primarily like the Wood Talk guys, uh, Mark Spagnuolo, Matt Cremona, Shannon Rogers. If you're a woodworker, check them out. They're awesome. Um, and all these guys are entrepreneurs. They, they market themselves as online educators. And being entrepreneurs, they have to be very careful with their money and their financial planning. And somehow it led me on, on a path to your podcast, which I obviously enjoy and have uh, since subscribed to. The positive impact uh, of your show is really twofold. On a more professional side, I'm trying to scale my, my hobby woodworking business, which I've dubbed Chronic Woodwork. Uh, for a little plug, you can find me on Instagram or, or Facebook. Um, I've taken some of your skills to try and ramp that into more of a small-scale business. It's something I do as a hobby, but if I can use my hobby time to make money for my family, 
even better. On a personal scale, transitioning from the Army is a little bit of a scary time for me. My wife and I are expecting a, a baby girl in June, and to step away from the stability that the military offers um, is a bold choice, uh, at least in my opinion. So I'm taking that to, to prepare myself financially, uh, to take some lessons learned so I can lead our family in the right direction, raise this child the, the right, where, right way where she has a responsible, uh, healthy relationship with money. And our family has the financial stability that we need to walk away from the military. I think in all, that's probably enough rambling for one day. I uh, really appreciate your time. If there's anything I can ever do uh, to repay my, my debt of gratitude to you in the future, please let me know. Thanks. And I'm just glad that the uh, the show has been helpful for you. Uh, I don't know your Instagram, but come on by the show page and comment, and uh, I'd love to link for, link for that. Uh, and lest um, uh, lest you uh, uh, in my previous comments on the politicization of motherhood, I'm really glad to hear that uh, as a father, you'll be able to be closer with your children. It is very very tough on children, as you know, uh, for uh, their fathers to be deployed, especially to be deployed for extensive periods of time. Uh, the military is hard on families, and so if I can help you make that transition, I'm very happy about that work as well. Hi, my name is Matt. I am from Australia, and I am 22 years old. I currently work full-time at a department store earning a basic income as well as studying part-time in web development. I discovered Radical Personal Finance about a week or two ago when I was bored of my audiobook and wanted to find some podcasts. I've dabbled a little bit with the personal finance side by playing with YNAB on and off for a while. I was never consistent with it, but I did find it helped. When I started listening to Radical Personal Finance, I got hooked pretty quickly. I listened to about 10 episodes in the past week, and I'm still going strong. I've never been the strongest saver, mostly just spending things on computer parts, because they're awesome. Um, and yeah, I've spent probably 90% of my income every week just on things and food. Even though I'm fairly new to your podcast, I feel like I've learned a whole heap so far. Like I've been more frugal with my spending, cutting back on coffees and takeaways, as well as walking to work instead of driving a whole two kilometers or about a mile and a bit, I think. <laughs> it's been good. I've even been trying to read more. I've went to the library, which is very close to home, and I borrowed a personal finance book called The One Page Financial Plan. I feel like that book's been pretty good so far, and I'm keen to read more personal finance books. I'm looking forward to learning about investing in the stock market so I can send my money to work and earn me some more. I feel as though you've opened the door to personal finance and I can't wait to learn more. Thank you very much for this. Well, thank you, Matt. And uh, FYI, the author of the one-page financial plan, Carl Richards, has been on Radical Personal Finance. And that was episode... I don't have it, uh, so I apologize. But he's been on radical personal finance. Just search for uh, just search for that on the, in the show. Remember, the way that you get out from uh, being an entry level department store worker is education, and so you've got to you got to learn more that's helpful in the marketplace so that you can increase your earning ability. It's a long process, but it will compound over time. And so take this time and dedicate it deeply to your own learning and your study. Hi, Joshua. This is Elizabeth, and I've been listening to your podcast for one year now. I want to share with you and your audience how your podcast has improved my family's financial life over this past year. 
Last year, our net worth was $3,000. This year, our net worth is $50,000. We've achieved that growth by having a $35,000 higher savings rate, $6,000 in market gains, and we've paid $6,000 towards our car loan. So our savings rate has made the biggest difference for us during this past year. When I found your podcast, I was looking for help in shifting my mindset. The most basic shift for me so far has been saving more and spending less. Over this past year, we've changed from spending extra income on vacations, toys, and consumer debt. Now we use our extra income to achieve our financial goals more quickly. Another big change for us has been being more mindful of how our assets and strengths can help us to make more money. My husband has a good job with the government. We are happy with his salary, but an added benefit in his career is a lot of time off. My husband has been using his knowledge, interest, and extra time to build a business over the past few years. This year in particular, we've noticed his business is, is growing. Last March, he had zero partnerships with dealers. At this time, his products are available in three different stores and there are still more interested retailers. I've also been more aware of how I use my own strengths to help build what is now our family business. We found a lot of enjoyment in nourishing this asset together. We have short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals for our financial life now, and we also have made detailed plans that we can actually follow in order to achieve our goals for different phases of our lives. Your episodes on risk management have helped us to increase our family's stability. My husband's job is high risk. During this past year, we've increased our life insurance and made plans for how we can handle disability if that were to happen. I sleep more easily because of this. Your podcast has also helped me to expand my education in personal finance because of your book reviews, interviews of other podcasters and bloggers and the different ideas listeners share on the RPF Facebook page. Thank you for your spotlight on these helpful resources. And Joshua, thank you also for this opportunity for me to share and hear other listeners talk about our growth as a result of your podcast. It's awesome and it's uplifting. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> the debt being paid down, people saving money, starting businesses, family businesses. Sweet exciting. Hi, Joshua. Uh, I just wanted to give you the uh, voice memo here in response to your request for how radical personal finance has really been helpful, impactful um, in my life. And uh, just to give you a little bit of backstory, um, always really been interested in finance. Um, was an economics and math major in college. And when I graduated in 2014, um, went off to be a financial advisor. Um, and that's really about when I found your show a little bit after that, I think maybe 2015, but it was really helpful just since I was very new to the space at that point in time in terms of just giving me more confidence in the knowledge that I needed to be good at my job and to help clients um, that really needed it. Um, then also just spilling over into my own life, it was really helpful for just giving me insight um, as to the steps I needed to take for my own finances to be very dedicated and very thoughtful and purposeful in terms of uh, what my financial goals were and outlining those out. Um, consequently, it's also it sparked my interest in trying to retire early just so I have the freedom to be able to pursue my passions the way I want to. And um, even those that aren't really as financially rewarding, but are still things that are things I would enjoy doing. 
And as such, I'm trying my hand uh, at what you were doing there, which is uh, being a little bit of an entrepreneur. And I uh, started my own website called uh, financialdreams.org. Uh, nothing to write home about just yet, but doing my best to try to get things off the ground there and seeing where it takes me from there. And uh, maybe I'll be able to reach out to you in a, a bit here for a possible interview spot. Um, but again, thank you for all that you do and uh, take care. Best of luck with the episode 500. Remember this, when you build a website and you start writing, even if nobody reads, you'll be better off. Uh, the mark of success is not acceptance by the marketplace. You will learn and you will be better off uh, just simply from that from that that work. So financialdreams.com, uh, sorry, financialdreams.org and uh, for uh, my listeners writing. And I'd be happy to, if you can serve my audience with great ideas, I'd be happy to have you on the show. That's my litmus test. For those of you who wonder about how to get on radical personal finance, no, you can't pay me to get on the show. Uh, those of you who've tried, not going to work. Um, no, I don't care how many other shows you've been on. What I care is, can you serve my audience and help me to fulfill my mission of helping people of helping by providing the knowledge, skill, insight and encouragement that my listeners need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. So if you want to get on radical personal finance just send me an email but tell me how you're going to serve my audience. Don't give me this nonsense about how cool you are. Tell me how you're going to serve my audience and help me fulfill that mission. Uh, and I'd love to have you on. Uh, by the way, that's for anybody. If you have anything, uh, one thing I try to do and I've tried to do and I'm going to do even more is I try to keep the guests and the perspectives very diverse. And by that, I mean I want to interview normal people. I'm going to be doing many more interviews. I've, I've shut down interviews in the past months uh, just because I couldn't I couldn't keep up with it in light with everything else that I was doing. So I've just basically done solo shows. But I'll be doing more interviews. But I want to interview experts. But but experts often only speak expertise, and they just kind of go on and on with their expertise. But normal people can help other normal people. And so I don't want the show to just be all you know, Mr. Financial Planner or, or, or whatnot. So if you th have an idea, if there's something that you think would serve my audience, uh, I want to hear from you. Uh, I love to, to, to profile normal people, and we're going to do much more of that in days to come. Hey, Joshua. My name's Scarlett. I live in Texas, and I'd like to share two podcast episodes that made an impact on our everyday actions. The first podcast episode was the one where you talked about saving for college and you presented the notion, you know, why, why save all this money for something in the future when instead you could be putting that money to investing in your child now. And I really love that. I was initially listening to that episode because I was concerned about tax optimized college savings since we are in a high income tax rate. Uh, however, we also live in Texas, which has no income taxes. So a 529 wouldn't really benefit us. And, you know, this podcast really opened up my eyes to things beyond the actual financials of college. You know, if I'm willing to save $200 a month for my son's college, why couldn't I spend 20 bucks a month on, you know, for instance, a tinker crate, these little construction kits that something I know my son would love. So we did. So we got a subscription to Tinker Crate and it's been really fun spending an afternoon with him assembling these different projects. So far we've made a hydraulic claw and a fiber optic constellation map and he loves it. So, so thank you. The second podcast 
episode that I wanted to share was the one where you talked about why wait until FI to live like your FI. So my family, we are on our way to FI and I appreciate the notion to live a more balanced life now. And this podcast really got me daydreaming about what I would actually do if I were an FI and what I could do now. One of those dreams is to have a garden. So we're renting a house and I didn't really allow myself to indulge in starting a garden. It felt like a waste of time because after all, we're renting. We don't know how long we'll be here. But after listening to that podcast, I thought, wait a second, I am living here right now though. And there's no actual barriers to starting a garden. My landlord doesn't mind. There's no reason for me not to start one. It's something that brings me joy. So I did. I went to a tomato workshop that was put on by a nearby organic farm. And they taught us how, using their methods, most tomato plants get 5 to 10 pounds of tomatoes per plant. But with this one, this these methods, you can get like 50 pounds of tomatoes per plant. So after 20 bucks and about $100 worth of supplies, I have a super cool tomato garden growing in my backyard. Thank you so much for all you do. I appreciate your podcast and how it gets me to think differently. I love that story. Uh, it's so cool. I love that story. Uh, remember also that if you are renting, you can garden in containers. There are so many people who have developed just tremendous gardens and uh, and all in containers. So it sounds like you can ha- you can always till up the backyard and, and do that. But even container gardening and, and can be can move with you uh, to some degree. Also, there's some really cool ways of gardening where you can garden indoors. You can focus on on gardening the things that are appropriate. So I love that you said, no, I'm not going to wait until I'm rich to garden. I'm going to figure out a way to do it now. Uh, And I love that you're doing that with your children as well. Uh, I I feel uh, more strongly about it today than I did uh, when I recorded that show, that uh, financially, even if we just did it financially, as you said, what if you took that money you were sending to your child's 529 plan and you used it to finance uh, things that could be useful now? Whether that's purchasing books for them, there are so many world class books uh, that um, that uh, uh, there's so many world class books that can that, that you can buy and that you can uh, that you have available. Uh, and a lot of times, to get the best books, it seems to me like you got to buy them often, uh, or you need to subscribe. One thing that I am excited to see here, where I live in South Florida, I uh, found somebody who's built a, a living library. So those of you who are familiar with the concept of living books, expo- using living books comes from the Charlotte. Mason tradition uh, of education, using just living books for children. Uh, I found somebody who's built a living library, uh, but it costs money to support. And I want to see that succeed so much. I'd rather spend my money uh, have to have a subscription to the living library of these carefully curated uh, collections of living books for my children rather than uh, to go into some uh, thing that's going to see 20, year, 20 years down the road. And then one other uh, idea or that I just was, was, was loving in an email that I received from a listener who I'll be playing their voicemail in this show uh, was they sent me an email when they were at their, at a yes day that they did with their child. And so they've been trying to say, because often as parents, we spend so much time saying no that with their little children, they were saying, what can we do that would say yes and just do all the, the, the cool things that our children would enjoy and, and say yes to some of those adventures. And they were off at some local um, career thing where they were all pretending to be veterinarians, just the coolest thing ever. Uh, and yet we're often so stressed and we don't want to take the time off from work and we're too busy 
and we don't have the money, etc. And we miss those first four, five, six, eight years. Uh, let's just call it 10 years, that crucial formative 10 years from zero or two to 10 or 12. That's childhood. Beyond that, that's adulthood. But it's childhood. And so many parents think so much about college, worrying about college, 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 instead of looking down and saying, well, wait a second, what about childhood? If you get childhood right, college can take care of itself. But you can't fix in college what you messed up in childhood. Hello, Joshua. This is Allison from Virginia. Congratulations on 500 episodes. Thank you for all the time and energy you have put into building radical personal finance over the years. I really enjoy your podcast and the insights you provide. Uh, thank you for introducing me to topics and ideas I would not otherwise have been exposed to. I really have learned a lot through your podcasts and interviews. I've always loved personal finance and you had me hooked. So in the very beginning when you reviewed the book Early Retirement Extreme, anyone that could talk for that long about a book, I knew <laughs> was going to be interesting. Um, I, I love how you take on topics large and small. And I love that you uh, use your financial planner calculator to add in math into the discussion. You can even make an insurance an interesting topic. Uh, specifically, I want to thank you for causing me to really think about what kind of lifestyle my family wants now and once retired and how we can give back to our community. My family is in a good financial place. Um, I'm a nurse. My husband's in the Air Force. We have really solid jobs and retirement plans. So all we really need is small tweaks to ensure we're comfortable. And most finance shows are all about building up money fast or paying off debt fast. But yours really is about why. Like, why do we want the money? What can it do for us? How can it help our family and others? How to be more efficient with the money we have. So I really appreciate that, that you uh, really take the time to talk about why we're doing this. So thank you again. Keep up the great work and get some rest before your new baby gets here. Bye. <laughs> so you could tell that one did come in a few months ago. Thank you, Allison. I really appreciate hearing from you and congratulations to you guys on all your success. Always remember this. The money is necessary, but the money is not the goal. There's going to be something else. And if you want to live like you're rich today, a big component of that is going to be, let me look around and see what kind of changes I'd like to see in my local community. If you look at people who are rich, once they get really, really rich, Usually they're so busy getting rich that they don't stop until they're really rich. And they finally look around and say, oh, wait a second. What do I actually want my life to mean? And they look around and they pick a cause and then they start donating money. Well, that's fine. But don't wait. Do it now. Joshua, hi. It's Peter Steinberg on April the 3rd, 2017, 6 o'clock at night in Boston, Massachusetts. The Red Sox home opener just ended. I just got home from work. I have no clue who won, and I'm Me about neither. to go to the art museum with my <laughs> girlfriend. Um, your show has been great. I've been a listener since the beginning, uh, and I've been on the show, as you recall, talking about having a career as a physician. Um, your show has been wonderful. I mean, at the very least, I listen to you all the time, and you always provide me new and interesting ways to think about how I can expand from my base of operations as a physician. Uh, I think that several of the things that I've done since listening to your show that have been different, uh, I think I've taken a much more critical eye on my portfolio of investments. And I've been more active in seeking alternative investment vehicles than conventional mutual funds and stocks, although most of my portfolio still is mutual funds and stocks. Um, but I'm, I'm very critically looking at new investment vehicles. And I bounce these ideas off my father, uh, who's a financial planner, and my brother, who has an opposite investment view from myself. He invests in private businesses, 
He's a part owner of a brewery and he's got a lot of real estate holdings. We're totally opposite, but we keep bouncing ideas off of each other. I've sent a lot of your episodes to friends of mine, specifically as related to things like trying to pay down a mortgage versus trying to get more investment income. That's been a very popular uh, topic. Uh, your student loan uh, discussions have been very, very helpful. I work with uh, residents who have medical school debt and a variety of them uh, have listened to your episode with Jay Gardner about management of debt. Um, so those have been several of the, the big things. But uh, me personally, I mean, I've derived hours and hours and hours of enjoyment out of listening to your show. Uh, and uh, I really enjoy being a guest on your show. And I really enjoy taking uh, your info and spreading it around to other people. And personally, I keep uh, looking at my portfolio and seeing where I can get yield. So uh, congratulations on your 500th episode coming up. And uh, here's to 500 more. Amen. Peter was a great interview uh, on the show. Uh, so go back and check the archives for Peter Steinberg. Uh, we talked about uh, is medicine a good path to uh, a good path to wealth. Uh, it was a really excellent uh, episode in the archives. And also, Peter, I love that you've been you've opened your idea, your mind to other approaches to investing. Uh, when I left the financial advice industry, uh, the professional world, I wondered uh, about uh, the fact that all. Basically, all we ever talked about was stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And I, I had this pretty strong opinion that many of the people that I worked with that were wealthy didn't get wealthy from stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And that uh, perspective has certainly been solidified. Uh, I've seen so much more now. And now that I'm kind of have those those tentacles that pretty much are severed at this point – that desire to, uh, I've lost, you know, I lost any reason to kind of toe the party line. Uh, I become more convinced of that. That there's a really important place for stocks and bonds and mutual funds. It's our ability to invest widely and well using uh, mutual fund instruments is wonderful. It's not everything. Hi, Joshua. Congratulations on hitting 500 shows and thank you for for those 500 shows. My name is Pete and I'm from Belfast here in Ireland. My story is that I'm 34 years old and I'm financially independent. I've had my own business for the last nine years and over the course of that period I've saved pretty much every penny that I had and invested it in Vanguard funds. Um, your shows have really solidified my whole theory and my whole ethos behind investing saving really hard, and then investing everything that I haven't spent. And generally, that's been around 85% of um, my salary. What I really want to thank you for is the next phase of my life, uh, the strategy that I'm undertaking to really reduce my working hours now at this point, um, to spend more time with my family, and ultimately to travel extensively around the world. So next year, we're taking three months as a sabbatical, as a mini retirement, and this has only been possible because of the mindset shift that I have undertaken through listening to your show. Um, so thank you very much. And my wife thanks you, as does my daughter. <laughs> I would bet. <laughs> I would bet they thank me. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? Somebody saving 85% of their income. I love hearing stories like that because it's so uh, it's so inspiring. And I also love that you're not going to be uh, committed to being a miser <laughs> for the rest of your life. <laughs> that makes my day. Thank you for calling in. Hey, Joshua. I remember way back always being interested in money. My dad had me buy double E savings bonds and CDs. He didn't teach me much about investing in general, which is what I'm trying to do for my son. I find you to be very 
analytical. I am not a dense or stupid person. I just don't think deeply about things. When I first listened to your podcast, I was overwhelmed by how in-depth you went. At first, I thought you were a little nuts. I have to come (laughs) to realize that you are an extremely deep thinker. It has helped me to be a deep thinker. I remember reading somewhere, I don't know where, if it was your Facebook page or not, someone said they wished that you or some other finance guy was their neighbor because they would have someone to talk to about finance. I think your survey proves what I've known for years. People don't want to talk about money because they don't have any of it. I think your listeners are savers and investors and have some money. I know a lot of people that make high incomes. I live in a pretty high income area. The average income is about $121,000 a year. But nobody wants to talk about money because nobody has any. I had my taxes done this year and I asked my accountant about some of the surveys that are out there saying that people don't have $1,000 for an emergency. I find that hard to believe. He told me everybody is broke. He said 90% of the people that come into his office are broke. That astounds me. I've been working since I'm 11 years old. And I can tell you, I don't think I've ever been broke. So I agree that having someone like you as a neighbor would be beneficial. My wife is pretty much fed up with me talking finances. (laughs) That's why I love listening to your podcast. I'm familiar with most of the concepts you've talked about. But you put different twists and turns on things and go into detail that I would have never thought of. My father used to say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I don't know how you're going to reach the anti-finance people out there. But if you keep doing what you're doing, uh, they will find you when they're ready. Keep up the great work. Thanks for all you do. Ray. Ray, thanks so much. There's a there's a great essay uh, by uh, was it Albert Nock, last name Nock, I know, but it's called Isaiah's Job. Uh, it has been a very influential essay for me, just basically um, the, the in essence that uh, the difference between Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah wasn't sent to reach the masses, and neither am I. Uh, so the people that I can serve will find me, and I don't have to worry about that. Um, one of these days, I'll, I'll read that on the show, I've been, but, if, but for now, you can look it up if you want. It's called... Isaiah's job, and uh, it's yeah, it's helpful to know that. Well, you can't reach everybody, but there are opportunities uh, to reach some. And when people are ready, they will go looking. You know, you mentioned about not knowing people like that, and yet your accountant affirming that eighty percent of people are broke. It's actually one of the biggest challenges that we face, uh, and it's especially been amplified in the last couple of decades. Uh, we tend to reflect the people that we hang out with. And this is very practical. Uh, For example, if you don't have any money, uh, or sorry, if you have money and your friend doesn't have money, then let's say you want to go and take a weekend away. You feel bad about inviting your friend to go when you know they probably can't afford to take the money and go. That happens on a small level when it comes to um, when it comes to going out to dinner. And it happens on the big level when it comes to going skiing. And so we generally tend to hang out with people that are kind of like us, uh, really for practicality. Used to talk about this when I was in the financial advice business with one of my fellow financial advisors. We had money and we had time. And so we could take advantage of doing things midweek and take a few days off and go and do this adventure. But yet we often reflected on how much time we ended up hanging out together because other people didn't have that control over their time, that control over their schedule. So it's very normal that we hang out with people that are like us. 
But more and more in the United States, this divide between those who have and those who have not has become very, very intense. Uh, it's become geographically intense where wealthy people tend to cluster together in very tight geographic proximity, and it's become very culturally intense. Many of the institutions in the U.S. American society that used to hold the, the culture together have really fallen apart. The civic clubs, the, the vol local volunteer clubs, used to be that if you were an entry-level blue-collar worker, you might go down and join your local service organization uh, and or work in your local church or, or whatever it was, and you might be there with the president of the cha president or chairman of the board. They were both in part there in that civic institution. But today it's no more like that. And so it's often very hard for us to see how the other half lives. When we're wealthy, it's hard for us to understand how is it that somebody could not have $500 or $1,000. And then when somebody doesn't have $500 or $1,000, they often don't have any wealthy friends that they can go to and ask questions. And this is one of the long-term trends that for me is is deeply concerning uh, over the coming decades. And I'm hoping that we can use the power of media to at least bridge that gap a little bit for those who are looking. Hi, Joshua. My name is Stefan. I am a 27-year-old single guy living in New Jersey. I honestly can't remember how I stumbled across your show, but I started listening early summer of 2016, and your podcast has had an amazing impact on my financial life. A year ago, I was about $22,000 in debt, and I was looking to buy a condo to add on to this debt because I thought it was the right thing to do. But through listening to your show and listening to you give others advice, I decided to go on a different route. I decided instead to pay off all my debts. I drew out a plan, and now I am literally one payment away from being debt-free. Love it! First time since I was a teenager. And now I am saving money to buy my first multifamily income property in the summer of next year. Good move. I was able to pay down my debts, mainly because I still live at home rent-free. I cut my expenses drastically. I created a budget timeline and paid it off aggressively. Uh, I listened to your show same day you released the episodes. You're doing great word work. Saving the world one episode at a time. Keep up the great work, Josh. Love the show. Later, man. I love that. That is so encouraging to me. That's just so encouraging to see a young man changing everything. And that is exactly the reason why uh, you should live at home uh, during that stage. There's a huge difference between living at home with your parents as an adult child and being a freeloader, in which case your parents should kick you out the door and force you to face reality before it's too late, versus living at home with your parents as an adult child and using that strategically as a time to really establish yourself, pay off your debt, purchase investment property, uh, whatever the actual details are. That is a great reason for you to live at home. And then while you're there, you can enjoy the relationship, the rich relationship with your parents. Uh, and that's something that uh, I think they should look for and you should look for. Uh, so that is wonderful. That is a great story. And I'm just I'm thrilled to hear it. Hi, Joshua. This is Justin from Oklahoma. 
I've been listening to your radical personal finance for approximately six months, and man, I just really love it. Your ability to provide sound financial advice while urging your listeners to focus on being financially independent for their wealth, their happiness, and their ability to give back versus simply being rich, I think could spur the financial revival America needs. My wife and I purchased five acres and built our own home uh, 10 years ago because we wanted to raise our boys in the country and we really couldn't afford to pay a home builder to do it. It has been a blessing in so many ways and we now have nine years left to pay off a $90,000 mortgage. The property uh, recently appraised for approximately 300000 So we've decided to sell and we're going to move back into town um, we're going to buy a fixer-upper, and we're hoping to pay something somewhere between one hundred and sixty and one hundred eighty thousand um, to help us become debt-free and begin investing in rental properties sooner. We believe it's important to tithe and to give to those in need, and uh, financial independence will allow us to achieve these dreams sooner and on a much larger scale. I appreciate your work, especially the philosophical discussions that get people to think about the why they may want to get out of debt. We're both in our mid-30s, and we see so many young people without the simple skills or desire to get out of debt. Uh, we hope someday we can be inspiration for those that don't think it's possible. God bless, and take care, man. Thanks. I, I love it. Thanks for calling in, Justin. And um, definitely, I'm glad you appreciate the philosophy. In the future, I think I'm going <laughs> to start referring to myself as a financial philosopher when I do my intro. It's going to be Joshua the financial philosopher, because frankly, I get so bored by the the details and the mumbo jumbo of all the math and all that. I get I just get utterly bored by that. Uh, but I love the philosophy. And the math is easy. That's what you hire people for. You get a little understanding and then hire people, but the philosophy is not easy. Uh, so thank you for calling in with your story. Hi there, Joshua. My name's Catherine Hawley and I'm a CFP based in Monterey, California. Thank you for all the knowledge and passion that you bring to the profession. I love how you've articulated creating a life that you don't want to retire from. And my husband enjoys all your shows related to prepping. And I hope um, that you speak uh, at more financial planning conferences because I think other professionals would benefit greatly from your ideas. Congratulations on 500 shows and keep up the good work. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the the multivariate <laughs> philosophy of of financial uh, of financial preparedness, uh, and I love I love bringing those things together because uh, just basic preparedness, basic prepping, basic um, physical preparation is such an important bulwark against life, and that is fully integrated with comprehensive financial planning. There's no difference. So anybody who's looking for a good um, financial advisor, let me play her first her name again, good financial advisor in Monterey, California, I bet you you could find Miss Catherine. Let me just uh, cue that up. Let's hear her last name. Hi there, Joshua. My name's Catherine Hawley, and I'm a CFP. There you go. Catherine Holly, CFP in Monterey, California, if you're looking for a good financial advisor. Hello, my name is Chukwuzi Tere Okwaraji. People call me Chuzi. I am 19, and I currently attend the State University of New York at Potsdam, where I'm majoring in economics. So since I was about 17, uh, I've been looking for ways to increase my financial literacy. And your show has helped me do that exceedingly well. For that, I am very grateful. Um, there are not many shows out there like this one. 
So when I heard you would like people to call in and tell you uh, what the show has helped them do, uh, I thought, you know, I don't have too much money, so I can't donate. Being I'm a college student, I actually have a, a negative net worth. <laughs> and uh, your show has increased my financial literacy. Uh, for example, the rule of 72. Uh, I love things like that. Very simple, or at least on the outside simple. There's obviously very complicated uh, things going on you know, within the formula that you don't really see. But the rule of 72, how you can just take an interest rate or a rate and divide it by 72 and it'll give you what that initial input will be at in one year. Uh, I love things like that. And uh, how you helped that 48-year-old um, determine what he should do with his 25% uh, of his net worth. That whole concept of if you wouldn't do it again or do it as it is now or however you described it. Um, then you should probably stop or pull out. I love little things like that, things that are immediately applicable to me. Uh, I've only recently started investing in acorns, so obviously I'm not a certified investor or anything of that nature. But uh, I, I'm, for, I'm a firm believer in the fact that you don't have to make mistakes to learn. You can definitely learn from others' mistakes. And your show has just helped me learn um, to not make mistakes that I know I would have made had I not listened to uh, your podcast. And uh, just wanted to let you know that I greatly value this show and I hope you stay on for a very long time. Uh, that's all. Bye. Well, I'm not going anywhere. But uh, you win the, the the coolest name of the day. I love <laughs> What a fun name. Chukuzitere Okuari. Chukuzitere Okawaji. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you for calling in. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to me. One thing I have learned in 500 episodes of Radical Personal Finance, I have no ability to predict the shows that are going to be popular, and I have no ability to predict the shows that are going to be the most impactful. I thought I did. You would think that I could look at a subject and say, oh, this will be good or this will not be good, etc. But every single one of just the mega smash hits of Radical Personal Finance has been a total surprise to me. I never expected them to, to happen. And then even you referencing something like the Rule of 72 being impactful for you. Uh, that one wasn't a, a smash hit, I don't think, but that was a show where I was just sitting down one day and I thought, you know, I'd like to do something simple. Maybe I'd do it on this. And I felt so dumb doing that show because I'm like, everybody knows about the rule of 72. I don't have anything to add to this. There's no unique angle I can take on this. Basically, this is the rule of 72 and this is how it works. And so I struggled and struggled and struggled and thought like, come on, there's got to be something interesting. No one's going to listen to this. This is going to be boring and and <laughs> boring. I didn't think anyone would listen. And then for you to say that that was really helpful for you, and it is a very useful little rule of thumb. So I have constantly, constantly been surprised at how bad my judgment is on the things that are going to be helpful. So thank you uh, for calling in and sharing that story. Hi, Joshua. It's Christopher from Minnesota. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your show. I really love the deep dive into some complex financial subjects. I don't always get into the uh, 
crazy schemes I hear on your show, but I think that they're interesting to listen to and think about in a real way. I have really appreciated your show for the daily encouragement part. It's just helpful to think about your finances a little bit every day. And um, it has helped me to become a part of that financial demographic you talked about. Uh, if you had asked me a year and a half ago when I first started listening to your show, whether I was um, realistically a part of that demographic, I would have to say no, not a chance at all. Um, and I'm really excited that I've since then almost doubled my income and um, minimized my expenses. And I, I feel like I'm making a whole lot of progress on the road to financial freedom. And so thank you so much. Appreciate all you do. You're running the guaranteed formula. Double your double your income, half your expenses, and invest wisely, and you will be financially independent in short time. That is for sure. Hey, Joshua. Thank you for all that you do through Radical Personal Finance. I really enjoy listening to you on my commutes uh, to and from work and on some bike rides uh, throughout my community. Uh, since I've started listening to your podcast maybe about a year ago now, uh, my family and I have put some major things in play. And we were already doing some financial makeovers, but your show has really helped encourage us and uh, just keep us going and keep us steady with our commitments. Uh, We're set to pay off our home in 2018, and we just purchased our home uh, about two years ago. So we will have it paid off within five years of purchasing it. It's a a tiny cabin cottage type house. Uh, It's well within our means. Uh, I'm uh, uh, I'm employed at a church. But I also have a lot of other side things going on. My wife is a stay-at-home mom, and we have a daughter who's a four-year-old and soon to be five this summer. And uh, my other things that I do uh, after listening to your show is keep really good records of everything that's going on. I have an S-corporation where I'm a web designer, marketing consultant, and I'm also an audio engineer. And uh, like I said, I work in a church doing ministry and stuff like that as well. Uh, My family and I also got into rental uh, real estate and we're landlords and we have five units in our area that really help support us. And it's helping us, uh, really put some wheels on paying our house off. Uh, the other thing that I've put into play is your use of Patreon. Uh, we launched a community magazine this year for our, for our town. Uh, I do web design and, and graphic design and things like that. And our town really needed some help and I put it into play and we are using patrons as a model, as well as local business ads. Uh, But the biggest thing is really that your show has given us is just encouragement and uh, sound advice. Uh, I also opened up my own IRA, uh, been looking heavy at at, uh, tax strategies and things like that, that that your advice has given on the show and your interview, uh, interview shows have helped us think through. But I really appreciate what you do. Uh, You mean a lot to me, man. And hopefully... Uh, you can keep it going as long as you can. Thanks for all your work. Awesome. Man. What a great story. Um, thank you for sharing that with me and with my audience. If you've made it an hour and 42 minutes into this show, I want to give you just a little business tip. Uh, Justin just mentioned there about the idea of a community magazine. The big next phase, in my opinion, the big next phase of media is going to be hyper-local. Uh, and it's being very, very poorly served at this point in time. Uh, and the great thing about going hyper-local is you have access to an audience that you can market to, but you have broader exposure as well. So whether it's a community magazine, 
a community-focused podcast. Uh, I can't remember which URL. I have a half a dozen URLs for a, a Palm Beach County business podcast. Uh, I could build a standalone six-figure income off of a local business podcast and local business magazine. Uh, there are so many tools out there right now, and it is so easy if you focus on a geographic area to do it. So if you've been interested in doing something in your community, uh, I would encourage you to do it. Uh, and I <laughs> I may still do it myself here. We'll see. I've got other, thing, other, other things ahead in the queue, and i got to not – chase after every great idea that I have. Um, so I've, I've disciplined myself to say no at this point in time. But for you, you might be able to do that and build it. So Community Magazine, uh, I don't know what he's doing with the Community Magazine, but there's an opportunity for specific niche groups. And the wonderful thing about working in a local geographic area, if you build a business, build a media platform or something in your local geographic area, is it could have multiple benefits, number one. Uh, and let me just give you a, a, a strategy. If I were going to do it today, I would build it on podcast interviews, which I would also simulcast onto the local radio stations. I would tightly edit them, make them very, very valuable, and I would distribute them online, and I would also use local radio to do it. What are the benefits of it? Number one, you can build something valuable, and that's helpful to help people and serve people. If there were a specific locally focused media platform that were just geographically tight, I would listen to it for me. And for every one of you, I think there'd be people as well because you want to know who your neighbors are and what your neighbors are doing. So if you built an interview show just going around your town and interviewing uh, interviewing uh, local business people in your, in your town, uh, you could build something really valuable there. And people would be interested because they're from your town. Now, this will work better um, outside of New York City. I, I, think, I think this is better in a, in a smaller uh, town. But people would be interested in that, hearing, you know, even probably stories from New York. There's probably someone doing that. But the big cities are already covered. You know, I guarantee, I'm sure there's a, uh, I don't know the name of it, but I would, I would bet you 20 bucks there's a, some kind of local public radio show that's serving New York City and Chicago and blah, blah, blah. All these big cities are well served. But the little towns are not, and you can do it. Number two, what's the other benefit of it? Helps your network. You get to go around your town and meet every mover and shaker in your town. And you can build tremendous social equity and social capital by doing that. By finding out what's going on and you can become a networker and an influencer in your local town. That's powerful. It will give you power when it comes to uh, local decisions, to air uh, and bring attention to issues that are important, things that are being ignored. That's very, very powerful. And even financially, there's tremendous power financially because you can sell advertising in a local area. You can sell advertising a whole lot easier with a local program than you can with some big national or international program because the advertisers make much more sense. So there's a little tip for you. Uh, I have, uh, uh, I may still do it in the future, but if you're interested in building media, think local. That is the next. That is the the very valuable thing. You can work out financially and build equity in other ways as well. But think local. That's the next phase of media in my analysis. This is Brandon from Charleston, South Carolina. August of 2014 is when I listened to my very first podcast. I've been a Big fan of Bumfuzzle for a while, and Joshua interviewed Pat Schulte. After that interview, I was pretty intrigued by this podcast and this new way to get information, and so I listened to a few episodes, thought it was pretty interesting, and kind of forgot about it for a little while. A few weeks later, um, I was riding in the car, and just 
it kind of came back to me like, let me check this thing out again. And so I turned it on and listened to a few more episodes. And I was, that was the time when there were a lot of um, very in-depth financial planning shows. And I really enjoyed that information and that <clears throat> education that Josh was providing. I'm happy to say that I'm still a ardent listener. I'm listening to every episode as it's released. I'd say the one of the best things that actions that I've taken from the podcast is just developing a balance sheet and a cash flow statement. It's just, just been such a great tool to use to follow our finances. I also started a side business, a tax preparation business, based on an idea that I got from one of the interviews on the show, which was a great learning experience. Um, the show and the community has helped me make a lot of decisions over the years, and I enjoy the, the community and the discussions that we have on Facebook and the, the intellectual conversations that, that help me to sharpen my discussions. And so I'm glad that we've reached this 500-episode milestone and look forward to many more to come. Thanks so much for calling in, Brandon, and, and uh, just to speak personally to you, thank you. Thank you for your friendship, and um, thank you for um, all of your help. Uh, if I were to think of any listener that I've enjoyed more getting to know on uh, because of radical personal finance, I, I couldn't, uh, I wouldn't put anybody ahead of you. Uh, you're at the top of that list. I've enjoyed and appreciated our relationship and and friendship um, more than just about anything else. I've enjoyed our conversations and interactions, and I hope that. Uh, Hope that it continues for many years in the future. Hey there, Joshua. This is uh, Alex. I just wanted to say thank you so much for all you do with Radical Personal Finance. Um, I've been a longtime listener for years now. I've learned so much from your show, everything from tax planning to the intricacies of insurance, increasing my income, etc. And it has helped me. Um, I was really inspired by when you talked a long time ago about Brian Tracy's 1000% uh, formula, and I've been doing my best to follow that to increase my income over the long term. Um, some of your other advice I've really put to use to like uh, geographic arbitrage. So my family is actually now moving down to your state in Florida, so we'll be saving a ton of money in taxes just from that one move aside from the opportunity itself that we're moving for. So that's awesome. And um, also, um, another thing I appreciate about your show is the technical detail that you go into with all of your episodes. Um, not only are your ideas well-researched, but you present them in a very articulate manner. And I really appreciate that because I can go back and listen to your shows over and over again and really get the concepts well. Another thing is I really appreciate your advice about podcasting because uh, you've inspired me to start a podcast partially. And um, so I'm going to be starting a podcast on investing called the Circle of Competence Investing Podcast. And I hope to start publishing those episodes soon. I've recorded a few of those and I've been using a lot of the advice that you've given on the show. So thank you so much and um, looking forward to many more episodes from you. So thanks. Bye. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. And uh, congratulations on starting your uh, uh, starting your show. Uh, one thing that, uh, and by the way, I looked it up. Looks like it's not in the iTunes store, so it's not yet there. Um, one comment, and I meant to say this with Brandon said about the earlier deep dive financial planning shows that I did. Uh, I know many of you have wanted me to do more of those, and I have wanted to do more of those. 
I, I don't want to always stay superficial or I want to give practical reality, uh, practical useful tips. And that comes from the world of financial planning. The challenge that I faced was I didn't have the right format for it because with financial planning, I was just creating an audio interview, but I wasn't able to uh, – to, uh, well, I didn't have – I didn't have anything written behind it. And so I kind of felt like I was putting this huge amount of work into those shows but not able to capitalize on them um, the very best. And let me be clear. The technical financial planning shows in terms of popularity of episodes have always been the least popular. Uh, it would be normal. I would produce a show on an interview or a show on something that was light or a philosophical concept or a discussion of something. Those would be popular, popular, popular. And then I would publish, I used to do on Wednesdays, a Wednesday financial planning show, and it would be kind of like, boom, drop down 30%, 30% less. But the Wednesday financial planning shows, when I used to do them on Wednesdays, those would take the most time to prepare, to go very carefully through a topic and make sure that I cross my T's and dot my I's was very time consuming. And so from a simple uh, productive capacity, I looked and I said, why, <laughs> why would I do the things that take the most time to prepare and are the least popular, uh, especially if I can't profit from them on the back end? But my hope is in days to come, I do want to produce more of them. Uh, but what I need to do is I need to produce them in the context where you can then follow up with buying something from me. Uh, and I think that if I do it that way, then it'll be make more sense. So if I'm going to do a uh, you know an 82 part. <laughs> series. <laughs> you know I would. <laughs> if I'm going to do an 82-part series on retirement accounts, <laughs> then it needs to be available so that you can um, have – so that whether I, I – how I do it, I'm not sure. Whether I release the audio to you so it's freely available or part of it to you or – and then put you know transcripts and careful outlines and things like that. Uh, I just wasn't – I didn't have a good plan to profit and capitalize off of it. So uh, when I figure out how to do that and make sure that I can then have a product that you can buy where it becomes financially worth it for me to put in the massive amount of time, then I'll do that. And I'm willing to do that and I want to do it because – those shows are valuable and it was just that I was 80% of the way there and another 20% of work and then I would have something created that I could sell. But I didn't have that plan worked out. I didn't have the technology fixed, et cetera. So uh, both Brandon and Alex mentioned uh, about that technical detail. That's why I've kind of walked away from it, but I, hadn't walked, I haven't walked away from it forever. Don't worry. Uh, I'll do an 82-part series at some point in the future. <laughs> Hi, Joshua. This is Zach from Traverse City, Michigan. I'm a regular listener to Radical Personal Finance. I really enjoy the shows that talk about why we work and thinking about retirement in context. The idea of what kind of work could, would we do if we were never able to retire, I think, is a fascinating question. Thanks for the shows. My only request is I wish the shows were a little bit shorter. 30 minutes to me is great. Once you get over an hour, it's, uh, it's hard to find the time to listen to all the podcasts I want to listen to. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Yeah, absolutely, Zach. It's a great request and uh, very, very reasonable. Uh, I'll just respond to it by saying I hear you loud and clear. I want shows to be tight. I want them to be shorter. Uh, however, as a content creator, let me explain. Uh, the old quip, I think it was usually attributed to Churchill. If I'd had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. The shorter the show, the more time it takes to create. And that's one of the biggest challenges when you give things away for free. Uh, I could probably go through my shows and edit out, I would guess, 
15 to 20 percent uh, of the show and create a better product um, that would be tighter. I've tried over time to focus on getting better in my delivery. I've never edited a show. Um, I've always just focused on saying, how can I tighten up and make sure that my communication skill is better? And I've gotten much better uh, over the last 500 episodes. A lot of room to go, but I've gotten a lot better. But the key is always, the, the, the question is always, okay, in terms of the model, what's the monetization model? Uh, if you create a very tightly produced show, that can be very valuable if you can make it up off of advertising or if you can make it up off of these other things. And so uh, I'm fully aware of uh, making sure that shows are short. I've tried to tighten them up, uh, and I will continue to do that because no one wants to have their time wasted. But uh, there is also just that whole uh, – there's there's just a balance. As a, as a creator, you just say, well, I can do this, and I can release it at an hour and get 80% of the results that I would if I tightened it up and put another 10 hours in, just like I was talking about with the previous thing about a financial planning conversation. We always have to judge the worth of what we're doing and ask the question, uh, is this the best use of my time right now? None of us have – huge amounts of time. Uh, we all have the same amount of time and it's all a matter of allocation. How do we allocate that time? And uh, I've made different choices thus far. But in the future, uh, we'll see. Hi, Joshua. Congratulations on 500 episodes. For me, some of the biggest takeaway from your show have been uh, your radical thinking processes about so many things has really challenged the way I was brought up and the way I looked at the world. And um, that's been really neat to see things through someone else's eyes and, and think about way, things in ways that I've never thought of things before. From a financial point, the cash flow statement you taught in one of the earlier episodes has really helped me be more efficient with my family's finances. We have been tracking our expenses for years through a budget. And I was always move, looking at what I brought home, subtracting our monthly expenses and trying to move the difference to some sort of emergency fund or investment and then was frustrated when our checking balance was low. And using the cash flow statement, I saw the problem was with our credit cards, we were paying the money in the following month after the expenses. And with the cash flow statement, I was able to see when that money was actually going out and I'm able to save more efficiently and invest more efficiently without the checking balance dropping low. And then also getting my kids involved. I really liked your honey bear example with your son selling honey bear uh, bottles to people who are visiting the home. So this weekend, our town had our big festival and parade. And it was a warm day, and so I talked to my eight-year-old who, um, for $2.25, bought a case of water, sold them for a dollar apiece, and made $24. Um, so that was really cool to watch him do all the work and do the selling and be excited about the return and be able to give away a significant chunk to our church's mission trips and also keep a significant chunk for himself. So that was really neat. Thank you for all of your work and excited to hear the next 500 episodes. I love that. What a great story. Uh, you beat me to the water bottle idea, giving you the idea, but uh, my son hasn't quite been ready for it. Uh, an, eight, an eight-year-old, though, is perfect, uh, and that is awesome. Uh, definitely, I'm going to do more in the future on kids and money. I have been kind of quietly practicing my own ideas 
that I've that are uniquely mine with my own children, interacting with them and seeing how it works. Uh, and of course, uh, my eldest is four, so I, I want to make sure that I have good practical experience. But I want to do a bunch more on that because we've got so many opportunities, and there's no reason. There's no reason whatsoever why our children uh, need to be broke. There's no reason why our children can't be uh, financially independent from a very early age. And I mean by their late teens, uh, this whole kind of <laughs> – I just recently preached on um, – on, uh, uh, I forget the exact topic. I was preaching about money um, in my local church and we were – and I was just kind of tracing it through and the entire – kind of standard American um, profile is is basically an entryway to a lifetime of slavery, uh, of financial slavery. And it's so stupid. It's, it's an absurd model that doesn't work. And yet we're so culturally ingrained into it. And, and there's no reason for it. Anybody who wants to could just stand up and say, well, this is stupid and walk away. Uh, so I want to share with you in the in days to come uh, what I think is so stupid and how I'll do it better. But I also want to make sure that I'm not just simply speaking with a uh, out of a youthful naivete. And I want to make sure that I am speaking from experience and that my commentary is helpful. But I love hearing that story. And definitely when it comes to children giving money, saving money, spending money, I think it's almost meaningless if they're spending mom and dad's money, saving mom and dad's money, giving mom and dad's meaning money. But it's very meaningful when they take their profits and their wages and give them away. Uh, if it's a mission drive in your local church or give them away to somebody who's in need or invest them when it's their money, then it's deeply meaningful. So I love that story. Last one here from Shakira. Hi, Joshua. I'm Shakira, and I wanted to kind of give you an overview of who I am and let you know what I've gained from listening to Radical Personal Finance. So two years ago, I came to Melbourne, Australia from Atlanta, Georgia, to study my master's. Um, I, I studied at the University of Melbourne, which is the top university here in Australia, and I was extremely ex excited when I was accepted and didn't think about the money. Money is actually something that me and my family did, never, did not really discuss. My mom is um, fairly poor, and my dad is as well. Um, and we just really never talked about it. I'm actually also a first-generation um, college graduate in my family, in my immediate family. Um, so I, about a year ago, I became extremely interested in finance because of all of the student loan debt. Um, I actually accumulated $130,000 of student loan debt, and that's including the interest because I've actually not been making any payments on it. Um, I just graduated in December and I'm still in my grace period, but this is about to be up and I, and the reality is setting in that I have to pay these loans back. Uh, but, but so a year ago, I started listening to your show and it really opened up my eyes to a lot of things that I had no clue about. Um, I never knew what a Roth IRA was. I never knew 
that there was a retirement fund, a 401k. I heard of it. I heard people saying it, but I didn't know what it was. So I was completely financially illiterate. Um, And that has turned around immensely thanks to you. I've tried other shows like Her Money by Jean Chatsky. I've tried uh, Money Girl and Motley Fool. I'm just other shows, but I found that your approach was the best for me. And it kind of gave me a a solid foundation, has given me a solid foundation, and is, which I'm still building on um, after only learning about the basics of money over the last year through listening to Radical Personal Finance. Um, but since I've listened to your show, I've set up a budget and um I'm really a bit struggling with my budget still. I know that it's something that you continuously tweak, but um, yeah, the budget has, hasn't been set up for very long because after graduating in December, um, I just started working full time. Before that, I was working um, casually and part time at different places just to try and get through university. Um, but now now for the last um, few months, I've been working full time and earning $54,000 a year, which actually isn't a lot, but um, I thought it was all right for my first job. And I'm still looking, I'm only on a year long contract. So in October, um, that'll be done, but I'm looking for more work um, that will pay me more. Uh, my expenses are pretty low though. So that was something else that I've learned from your show is to cut my expenses, make sure that my expenses are a lot lower than my income. And I'm still able now to save about um, $1,500 a month, even though I'm making um, about $4,000 a month. So um, that's about 25% or a little bit more, or actually more than 25% of my income I'm saving and I don't have a car. Melbourne, Australia is actually very expensive to live in. So I don't know how long I'll be here, but I've also... um, spoken to a financial advisor and this person was more of a um, retirement specialist but was able to answer some some questions that I had as well and I don't think I would have ever even thought to speak to a financial advisor if I didn't listen to radical personal finance um, I'm also just figuring out what's important to me you know prioritizing my life and my the relationships that I have with my friends and people my family um, maintaining those and realizing that money is not everything um, I think that you have made several shows where you express this and express the importance of other aspects of life other than the finance financial um the financial aspect um, I also um, have a credit card which can be scary because I am in a lot of debt, but I'm and I'm not going into debt with that. I'm actually very <laughs> responsible with my credit card. I pay it all off and um, try and reap the benefits of using the bank's money. <laughs> um, so these are the ways that I have grown and and learned a lot through listening to your show. And I can honestly say that I am the minority. Um, I listened to your demographics podcast and realized that, wow, like I am one of the few people who are listening to this who are like me. Um, I'm African-American, come from a poor background, um, completely financially illiterate before I I listened to personal, radical personal finance. Um, I do believe that um, 
through listening to your show and seeking financial advice and help that I will be able to um, make it further in life. Um, this is why, I mean, I, I listened to it and I was getting curious about money when I started to wonder and started to pay my own bills and my own um, taking care of myself, I guess. I just started to realize that, oh, one day I want to buy a house, but how the heck am I going to do that? And I don't even know even the first step to doing that. And I think that um, after listening to you, a lot of my questions have become a lot clearer. So um, I know that other people who are like me probably haven't reached out to you as much, but I would just like to say thank you so much for um, putting in all of this work. Congratulations on reaching 500 podcasts. That is an amazing accomplishment. And I would say keep it up because although you may not hear from the people who are like me, um, there are others out there and you're really helping, even if you're only helping um, 1,000 of us. That's a huge difference in um and I think that more people will be reached and you are reaching the minor- the, minor- the minority that you were hoping to reach. So um, have a good one. Thanks, Joshua. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to know what to say. Uh, Shakira, thank you for calling in and for sharing that story with me. You know, I saved the best for last um, it, just because I thought... Uh, Shakira's story was so encouraging. And, um, you know, as she said, I, and I, I, I fear that perhaps I over said things in the past where I said, you know, all my, <laughs> all my listening audiences, uh, a bunch of extremely highly educated, um, rich, white, older men, <laughs> uh, because I know this not. And, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter what I said or didn't say just that, uh, it was very encouraging, Shakira, to hear your story uh, because it does uh, – it does – it was – that was the dream that I set out to do. Um, I just got tired of people not um, – I don't even know what to say. Uh, it is very encouraging for me to hear your story, as you say, when you uh, – a young black woman from an – urban environment with poor parents, first in your family to go to college, uh, and then coming out to uh, to a place where you're learning these basics. And uh, I, if I have ever been cavalier uh, and and not done a good job of presenting the basics, you know, I'm sorry for that. I'm going to do more in the future because your voicemail is just very inspiring to me uh, to say no. There are people listening and. Uh, I don't know if there are a thousand people like you who are just learning and just starting or if there are – it doesn't matter to me. I do it for one. Um, So it means the world to me that you make the time to share your story with me. And by the way, I want to applaud you. (laughs) Uh, Your savings rate, if you're saving $1,500 a month on a $4,000 income, is 38%. And that is tremendous. Now you got a big old pile of debt, uh, and I. But I know that with what you described, uh, you can go forward and you can clear that out uh, in coming days. Uh, and so I'm excited about your future. And so Shakira, and everyone else who called me in, and every one of you who is hearing me in your uh, earbuds right now, or ear pods, or whatever <laughs> on your car radio, um, in your ears, <laughs> I'm here to serve. 
uh, and I'm here. I want to work with you, and I want to serve. And I want to serve you because I'm a big believer in freedom, and we have and enjoy so much freedom of opportunity. And I'm a big believer in equality, equality of opportunity. And the reality is that we all have differing options that are available to us. And we don't get to decide those things. We don't get to decide what advantages or disadvantages we have. We don't get, this, we don't get to decide what opportunities we have or don't have. Uh, we don't get to decide a lot of things. What we do get to decide is what are we going to do with what we have. You know, it's interesting. There's a there's a phrase that angers me deeply, and I'll probably do a show on it in the future. Um, but uh, is a phrase that is very common in our current social debate. Uh, it's called "check your privilege," uh, and I guess this is a big thing now. And not I guess this is a big thing now, where you're supposed to check your privilege. And one of the um, one of the things that that bugs me so much about this phrase and this approach is that there's become this modern ethos that you should feel bad for doing well. And I just think that's absurd. What I do think is you should acknowledge the fact that you've been privileged. Acknowledge the fact that you've been blessed. And then look to say, what do I do with it? And that's where this whole debate goes off the rails. I have been more blessed and more privileged than almost anyone that I know. I can't think of somebody that I would ever trade places with in terms of my own childhood and my own background. I can't think of a single person. And there are elements of race in that. Certainly I'm white. It gives me all kinds of benefits and advantages. Um, I'm a male. Gives me all kinds of benefits and advantages. Of course it does. But my privilege goes far beyond those things. I was raised by parents who loved me and who poured their life out for me. You want to know what kind of a big benefit that, that makes um, in your life? It's huge. The data, the sociological research is everywhere. I was raised by parents that love one another. Never in my life have I ever seen my parents fight and argue with one another. Not a single time have I ever seen my parents fight and argue with one another. My dad said they had one fight, but it was like 40 years ago. <laughs> and he wasn't joking. <laughs> Not a single time. At a stable home environment. Raised in a stable house. I went to good schools. I had parents that poured into me the value of education and the value of studying. I was blessed with tremendous um, mental acuity. I have a high degree of intelligence. I'm very good at, at, at reading and learning and, and certain things come naturally to me. And I'm blessed that these are the skills that are helpful in our society. I was born at, in 1985. I was born at the perfect time in human history. Where by the time I started paying attention, it's been nothing but good my entire life. And the opportunities that I have in 2017 are like nothing that has ever been available to any person 20 years ago. 
I can live better today than the richest person in the world could have lived 40 years ago. I've been so blessed. And I am deeply, deeply privileged. But you know what? Here's the problem. So are you. Because I could come into your life and I could start getting to know you and I could find a whole long list of things that you do better than other people. I could find a whole long list of privileges that you have that I don't have. I could find a whole long list of ways that you are superior to me. Circumstances that you've been involved in. Physical attributes and characteristics that you have. Skills and abilities that I envy. A whole long list. So what do you do? What you do is you recognize the fact that you are deeply privileged and that you are deeply blessed. And then you say, how do I use this to serve others? As always, I didn't intend to preach, but I'm going to preach for just a moment here as I close today's show. There are a couple of very important statements by Jesus that I think form the foundation of everything, uh, the, the way that I approach life. Number one, Jesus said, he who would be greatest among you must be the servant of all. And people often get this mixed up. They think that the way to be great is to go and beat other people up. They think that the way to be great is to go and talk about how great they are. They think the way to be great is to go and get a gun and tell everyone, you got to say that I'm great. It's not the case. If you want to be great, humble yourself and become a servant of others. You'll be great. The other thing that's so important is this. To whom much is given, much is required. You don't get to sit around and just say, well, I've got all this great stuff and so I'm going to do nothing with it. No. To whom much is given, much is required. That should strike fear into your heart. Because when you look at your privilege, the question you need to ask yourself is, what am I doing with my privilege? What am I doing with what I've been given? One of the things that I cannot stand is that in our modern public discussion, we want to take people to task for what they have or what they don't have. Many of us have little control over what we have and what we don't have. You shouldn't judge somebody based upon what they have or what they don't have. The judgment comes based upon what you do with what you have. Parable of the talents in the Bible. The master uh, gives one of his servants one talent, another talent, another servant five talents, another servant ten talents. Comes back, goes away on a long journey, comes back and asks for an accounting. And uh, the master comes to the, uh, to the uh, servants. Let me read it. Let me find it here and read it. I'll read the version from Matthew chapter 25 uh, from the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is preaching and he says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. 
To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. In case you're uh, curious, there are two versions of it. In one version of this parable, it's recorded in the Bible. It's one talent, five talents, and ten. In this one, it's five, two, and one. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each, according to his ability. Notice that, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I can think of um, no better way to articulate the importance of being productive with what we've been given. None of us can control what we were given. In the book of Corinthians, Paul says, uh, what do you have that you did not receive? If if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? None of us have any control over what we have received or have not received. But we do have control over what we do with our talents. The actual word talent, interestingly enough, the origin of the word talent is traced directly to that parable uh, in Matthew 25. Uh, prior to the, we, the whole idea that we have of the understanding of a talent, because in when the biblical text was written, um, talent just simply meant it was a unit of monetary value. It was a specific value sum of money. But we, of course, understand it to be more than money today, and that understanding that we have, talent meaning that unique skill and innate ability, uh, that idea of talent as innate ability is traced directly to that parable because none of us control what we're given. So it's important that we not despise people for the talents that they have. And that's what we so often do in our modern culture. We tear people down. We tear people who are rich down and say, well, you're rich and I got to indulge my greed and my jealousy and I got to take from you. I got to get what's mine. I got to get it from you. right? Or you're well-spoken and I got to take from you and take that away. Or you're beautiful and I got to knock you down a peg. Or you're strong and athletic and I got to somehow make you feel bad for that. 
It's the most greedy, disgusting culture that just looks to take, take, take from other people. The better... I think my dogs like what I had to say. In case you don't know, I have faithful co-workers who have listened to all 500 episodes of Radical Personal Finance. <laughs> uh, my two little doggies that are always on the ground at my feet when I record these shows. It's just a greedy, disgusting culture that just looks to knock people down a peg. You don't make something good by taking somebody who – you don't make something better by taking from people who do good and trying to knock them down. What you do is you use what you have and use it to lift others up. So that's what I seek to do, albeit imperfectly. I seek to do it here on the show. I want to lift others up. And so for Shakira, who's a, a, a young woman, black woman from an urban environment, raised with poor parents, first in her family to go to college, it's my job to do everything I can to help her to have every possible advantage that I can convey to her. And then it's her job to go and do the same. So as we close out episode 500, thank you for indulging my sermon. But as we close this out, I want to leave you with a charge. If you just want to listen, listen, listen to Radical Personal Finance, please don't. Don't just listen, listen, listen. Listen, rather, so that you can do in your own life. And as you start to be more established, start to understand the basics of a financial term, as you start to earn money and save money and learn how to live on less than you make, as you start to be established, then go out and serve someone else. Go out and teach someone else. Go out and help someone else. Please. However you do that, that's not up to me and I don't care. That's up to you. You may have a talent of going next door to your next door neighbor and, and seeking to help them and sit down at their kitchen table. There are millions of people all throughout this world who are struggling with budgeting. And guess what? They can't learn it on a podcast. I can't help somebody with their budget on a podcast with a specific thing that they're struggling with, but you can. Go and get involved in their life and sit down at their kitchen table and get out a calculator and do everything you can and help them understand their budget. And then follow up with them because, Shakira, you talked about struggling with budgeting. Guess what? It takes a long time to be good at it. So go back the next week and the next month and help them. I can't do it all and you can't do it all, but together we make a tremendous difference. That's what I want to accomplish. You know, I just got back from FinCon, and I've never said this on the show, but one of my secret ambitions has always been to be someone who could cross that chasm and help educate people from my experience as a professional financial advisor, but to kind of help the financial blogger, to help someone, uh, someone else to articulate it in a different tone of voice. My stuff is not for everyone, nor do I want it to be. If I were trying to make something for everyone, then that would be a, 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 uh, an abdication of my unique skill, my unique talent. But I want you to take, <laughs> you know, I want you to take what I have to share with you and go and share it with someone else. So as we close, you know, there's, there's a poem I've quoted on here before. And just a second, let me find it. Um, 
it's by a friend of mine. His name is Jonathan Walton. And I first heard him do it probably a decade ago. But in many ways, there's just a line in this poem, and I'll play the whole thing for you. Uh, but there's a line in this poem that for me is so meaningful. But his line says this. We are people pebbles tossed into a pool. Every ripple I create in turn ripples you. So in unison, we are rippling. A type of ripple rhythm. We, we are rippling. A type of ripple rhythm. But we need to ripple in a way that benefits our living. So I think I'll shut up and I'll let my friend Jonathan Walton take us out with this, with this poem that he wrote um, many years ago after a motorcycle accident. My had. name is Jonathan Walton. And if you remember nothing about who I am, that I'm from Broadnax, Virginia is not important. That I go to Columbia University is not important. That I've written three books, it is not important. Accomplishments are accolades that we take upon ourselves, separating each other. But these things are just things that I've done. They would not be true if it wasn't for the truth that I know that is true for me and the truth that I know that is true for you, that we are beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made with gifts that no one else has. Think people that no one else can touch. Every single one of us, special and unique, with changes for the better that we can make in this world. I didn't always know this. I didn't always act this way. And all of us have these moments where our lives change, where our lives are redefined every single day. For you, it's something, it may have been a near-death experience. For you, it may have been a conversation you had with someone. For you, it may have been a sermon. For you, it may have been a job. But for me, it was on a motorcycle. So I find myself standing there, gazing into space. No focus, just blank, no expression on my face. No sound proceeded out of my mouth because words could not describe my experience. So I took a pen and I wrote them down because I lost control only 16 years old. Instead of the break, the gas I did hold, I was propelled through the air onto new ground, moving without direction until by grace I was found. God steadied my path, breathed air into my gas, he gave me another chance when it looked like my last because I flew through the air on a Harley Davidson over an embankment and through parking spaces to the left. I leaned and then to the right, then I careened to a stop. As if at a red light. See, I should have been lying there, lifeless on the pavement. The subject of police statements, my face plastered on front pages of newspapers. But instead, I was spared. It's not your time, God. Say enough for me to walk without care. Be like exclaiming he wasn't there. Because I put fear in the ones most dear to me. But it also put a new fear in me. Not the fear of the motorcycle, because that is not the lesson. The lesson is that of all things, we must be respectful. On this globe, we have few moments, and in one moment, all of our moments can be stolen. So I must cherish these moments as they are something golden, but more than gold. Because you cannot compare life to stone. That'd be like saying clothes are worth more than bones. Hair is worth less than the comb. The kite is more significant than the wind that blows it. Glasses are more important than sight. The cause is less important than the fight. The ability to speak is more important than a deaf person being able to sign, I am alive. I must view life from a different perspective. Look into my reflection and begin inspection. Respect the blessings that I have been given. Be thankful for my beer, but be more thankful to have risen. This lesson I've learned and now I must teach. It's my duty to tell everyone in this world that I see. Don't be concerned about the price of your shoes. Because if you look down, you walk on two feet. 
Don't worry if you eat hot dogs or the finest beef because on our place before us, we all have something to eat. We all have something worth more than all of Wall Street. Could not be bought with all this world's currency. A possession greater than any wealth on this planet, a force stronger than any bold of pure granite. Each and every single one of us has life, an aspect of being that is not fully understood, but living is something that we all must do. We are all people, pebbles tossed into a pool. Every ripple I create, internal ripple you so in unison, we ripple in a type of ripple rhythm, but we need to ripple in a way that benefits our living. I'll do it again. We are all people, pebbles tossed into a pool. Every ripple I create, internal ripple you. So in unison, we ripple in a type of ripple rhythm, but we need to ripple in a way that benefits our living. Actions that hinder our growth are unneeded, so we learn from our actions. They help us in succeeding. Mistakes are necessary, but all of our repeats are not. If a ripple that we make is wrong, we should make the ripple stop. So what will we do with our lives after God has opened our eyes? Will we turn our backs and hide from the light or bathe in its radiance with an enlightened mind? And for me, that was that moment by grace. For me, that was that moment, November the 2nd, 2002, on a motorcycle outside of an Arby's restaurant. I thought I was cool. I wanted to make money to buy things. I wanted to make money to make my truck nicer, to make my rims Bigger to make my system louder. I wanted to do that. That was me. Subconsciously, these things that I was working towards, these things that I was trying to please, these people that I was trying to make happy. And it all came to a stop in a parking lot in Southern Virginia, South Hill, where I'm from. I got on a fat boy, 1,400 pound Harley Davidson motorcycle. I put my left foot on, put my right foot on, put my hands on the handlebars. And somebody decided to rev the engine while I was sitting on it. The bike decided to take off. And when it took off, it hit the curb and it went into the air. And when it went into the air, I came off of their bike. And they said it looked like somebody grabbed us and put us back together. The bike hit the ground, the rear brakes went out, and the bike accelerated towards a concrete wall. This is the middle of a small town. Walmart is the biggest thing in a southern town, and that's where we were. Saturday morning, 10 a.m. at a Walmart, busiest place in a town, and I did not get hit by a car. Nobody ran into me. There was no collision. I just went up into the air, came off of the bike. Someone grabbed us, put us back together, put us on the ground. I accelerated towards a concrete wall, and 50 feet from that wall, the bike stopped. It stopped. And a week later, I scored two touchdowns in a football game the next week. I wasn't hurt, but I was changed. And it's not a near-death experience that something has to happen to you to re- for you to take stock, to realize that every single day that we have is a gift. But it made me stop and think. And a year later, my first book came out because that is what happened to me. I realized that every single day is a gift. And I said, okay, this is a gift that I have. But all of a sudden I said, what about all those other gifts and other people? My gift, poetry, being able to speak, to write, to act, to sing. But all these other people working in unison, when I say we are all people, pebbles tossed into a pool, we are people and we're tossed into the world. But what would it look like if we all used all of our gifts together? What would it look like for me to be a poet? What would it look like for you to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a stockbroker? What would that look like? What would it look like 
for, to have janitors and restaurant workers and healthcare providers that were working all for each other? What would it look like? What would it look like for people who love theater to perform? What would it look like for people who love to sing to teach? What would it look like? I can only say what if. What if all of the gifts that we had, that all of us were blessed with because they are there. It's a reality that every single one of us was beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made with gifts that no one else on this planet has. Nobody else can touch the people that we can touch. I can't say to your mother it's going to be all right. I can't say to your father it's going to be okay. I can't say to your children that I'm going to be there for them in that way. But you can if you choose to. We're all, every single day that we get up, standing on the edge of something great, standing on the beginnings of something new, standing on the threshold of who we want to be. Thank you all for listening to the past 500 episodes of Radical Personal Finance, and I'll be back with you very soon. This show is part of the Radical Life Media Network of podcasts and resources. Find out more at RadicalLifeMedia.com.